Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1295, air date August 23rd, 2023. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to the first GOP debate. I'm here with Dr. Shiva, and we're going to ask Dr. Shiva some questions. And uh, let's get started with the first question. So there was a song uh, written about the economy, Dr. Shiva, and uh, we're we would like to know what's your stance on the economy and uh, how you how you would take the economy in a, in a new direction. Yeah, I think, by the way, welcome, everyone. This is the first GOP debate. As many of you know, uh, both wings of the establishment are very, very fearful of our campaign, which is growing like wildfire all over the country. So their only uh, option is to make us invisible. So we decided to do this debate, as you know, Chris, where you're going to be bird doing every question that they ask. Uh, back to me so people can really make a comparison. So the question that was asked uh, a couple of moments ago at the GOP debate was uh, they played the song by this guy that, you know, apparently appeared out of nowhere talking about the situation of the U.S. economy. And they've been asking each candidate what they think about it um, and why, why is the economy in this situation? Well, let me tell you why the economy is in this situation, because both wings of the establishment, the Democrats and Republicans, don't give a damn about the working people of this country. And the reason they don't give a damn about the working people of this country is none of them come from the working people of this country. I'm the only candidate who comes uh, like the rest of us. You know, I'm one of us. I'm one of you. And I've had to work hard all my life. Uh, I'm a working class person who's come bottoms up. Everything I've earned is like everyone who's watching uh, this debate uh, today. Is I've come bottoms up. And that bottoms up nature informs me that the reason that the economy is in this situation is, but is because both wings, Democrats and Republicans, have worked together by design to destroy the American working people. So let me give you some statistics. If you go back uh, uh, to 1970 till today, and you compare the economy between that period to the same, let's say, period between 1900 to 1970, you'll see a very stark difference. And this is what you'll see. Between 1900 to 1970, as the American economy grew, Chris, as GDP grew, every quartile, the first, second, third, and fourth income quartiles of the American working people's salaries also grew. So what that means is if you were very, if you were of the first income quartile, let's say making zero to $40,000 a year, we were at the highest income quartile making millions a year, uh, between 1900 and 1970, as the economy grew, everyone's wages grew. Does that make sense? And that happened because during the early 1900s, in fact, until the mid 1900s, 1950, there was a strong working class movement, a bottoms up organic movement of the American working class that put the fear of God into both wings of the establishment. And that fear of God involved nearly 150 million people striking on the streets, over 11,000 strikes. That made the, the wings of the establishment recognize that they, be they better uh, treat people fairly. And as those working class movements grew, the and as the economy grew, everyone prospered. However, as we know right now, Chris, this debate is taking place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's a very important uh, area because it was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in the 1800s, that seven American workers were shot by the National Guard for fighting for the eight-hour workday. Similarly, in 1886, four American workers were shot in Haymarket, hanged, I'm sorry, for fighting for the eight-hour eight workday. So by the 1950s, the establishment was so afraid of these bottoms-up movements 
that the Republicans, led by a guy called Eugene McCarthy, uh, branded all of these movements as right wing, I'm sorry, as, as socialist Marxist movements, as though they were being run by Russia, right? That was the early Russia gate. And the left wing took over all of these organic bottoms up union movements. So by the 1970, the right wing had cut the legs off the workers movements, scaring them with the Red Scare. And the, you know, the left wing, you know, Democrats like the Bernie Sanders of the time took over the unions. So after 1970, there was no more bottoms up union movements. And between 1970 till today, when you look at the first and second in income quartiles, there's been a split. There's two American pies now. The first and second income quartiles wages have gone down over the last uh, 50, you know, 60 years. And, and if you look at the area under that curve of those wages going down, uh, it's been calculated to be $47 trillion. $47 trillion in wealth was transferred by the working class of this country to the elites, the th uh, third and fourth income quartiles. So today, the condition you have today is the average American worker is lucky if they have $400 in savings in their bank accounts for a rainy day. And both Republicans and Democrats have done this. Obama printed $8 trillion in two terms, and that was a wealth transfer to the wealthy from working class people to the wealthy. They printed money, which went into Wall Street to save the banks, if you remember, in 2008. And as Obama saved big banks, Trump did the same thing. In one term, he printed $8 trillion to save big pharma. That was another wealth transfer. So anyone thinking that any of these Republicans on the stage are going to tell you the truth of what I just told you, you're not going to hear it from them. You're only going to hear it from one of us, me, who's going to let everyone know today that the economy is in this condition. It is by design because the lesser of two evils, it is what has destroyed this country. It is the lesser of two evils that has made sure that your child today will have a lower life expectancy than you, Chris. And that's what's happened. That's a fundamental issue. Both wings of the establishment have profited from destroying the American working class. One of us, you, me, and they don't. And they, the reason they've done it is none of them are one of us. You look at everyone on the stage, they all come from the swarm. They all come from the elites and they represent the elites. I don't. And you look at the history of my life, it's always been fighting for working people because I'm one of us. So... That's that's the, my answer to the first question. This is why we need a bottoms up movement. This is why we need a systems overhaul because things are not going to get better. Uh, well, thank you for that. And we'll move on to the next question here. Uh, Fifty four percent of voters say the cost of groceries is a problem. How will you address this? Well, let's talk about that. OK, if you recognize this fact, the reason what we call inflation or the cost of groceries up is because the establishment plays this very, very funny game uh, by printing money when they need it, right? And the printing of money actually causes inflation. And why, why does the establishment print money? So we have to go to the why to understand the solution. The reason they print money is because both wings of the establishment, again, let, let's remind everyone, Donald Trump in one term, a Republican, supported by the Republicans and Democrats, printed $8 trillion, right? Created a massive deficit. Obama, a Democrat, in two terms printed $8 trillion. So if you just lay, lay it side by side, let's be very clear that both wings of the establishment will print money. And why did they print it? To save their guys on Wall Street. Obama printed it to save big banks in 2008. 
and Trump printed it, not because of COVID, it's because the pharmaceutical companies were tanking. As anyone knows who's actually studied it, as someone who's a you know, biological engineer, for the last 30 years, pharmaceutical companies have been going down in revenue because their entire pharmaceutical development process sucks. It doesn't work. So they needed a pandemic. They needed a quote unquote, a vaccine to save them. And that's why Trump was brought in. So he printed money fundamentally to save big pharma, like Obama printed money to save big banks. Now, why can they print money? The reason they can print money is because the U.S. is a reserve currency. Stephanie Keating, one of the theorists of what's called the modern monetary theory, and she's a professor at a Wharton, actually says it's fine to print money as long as you can, quote unquote, control inflation. And the U.S. can print money as long as it's a reserve currency. How does the U.S. maintain its reserve currency status with the might of the U.S. military becoming the imperial force, which is a policeman of the world? So that's what it goes. So the U.S. must be able to be reserve currency, which means they must be able to subjugate other countries to ensure that the U.S. is a reserve currency. And with reserve currency status, they can print as much money as, as they want. Allowing people, the government, on behalf of the elites to print money means who suffers? Who suffers is the working people. And that's why you see, you know, all the interest rates going up and the cost of, um, you know, goods going up. Now, where we are entering into the cycle of printing money and causing this devastation of working people, it doesn't really affect the elites, right? Because they can still afford, you know, the 0.1%, the Elon Musk's example, case in point, the guy, 600 billionaires during the last um, you know, four years, particularly during the pandemic, they increased their wealth by $2.3 trillion. So that doesn't affect them if the price of groceries goes up by 50 cents for this or that or dollar, right? But it does affect working people. And the only solution to this is something very, very simple. You have to create a real economy, a true market economy that is not based on printing money and the might of the military industrial academic complex. Well, how do you create a healthy economy? Well, you have to unleash innovation. You have to make sure that there's broad access to infrastructure and education for all people, not only to those people sitting on the debate stage right now who get to go to Harvard and Yale and places like that because mama and papa got them in, okay? Robert Kennedy's papa got him into you know, Harvard. He wouldn't have been able to get in there based on his grades, right? Um, and all of these guys. So the bottom line is that the amount of money we spend on the military industrial complex to create reserve currency status, if you took a fraction of that and you stopped doing that and you put it back into infrastructure, you would have a very, very different economic model because more people would have the opportunities to innovate, start small business and be entrepreneurs. And that's how you create a real vibrant economy. But that's not what they want to do. And the reason they don't want to do that is because they're all part of the swarm, Democrats and Republicans. They do not represent us. They're not one of us. Now, me being one of us, I'm going to make some very, very hard decisions to en ensure that working people get what they deserve. And so, for, the, for, for example, we should stop funding any of these activities in the Middle East. There's no reason to fund Israel. There's no reason uh, to support a, you know, a Middle East you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, a war base. This is what Iraq has become, right? So we pummel lots and lots of money to supporting these wars to subjugate other countries, so we don't take care of our own country at home. And that's where it begins. Awesome. Uh, some of the GOP talks might disagree with that stance, but uh, I, I liked your answer. 
so we'll move on to the next one here. Uh, more than 1,000 people are still unaccounted for in Maui after the wildfires. A hurricane is hitting California for the first time in decades. Young voters say their top concern is climate change. How will you address this? So it's a very, very good question. So let's talk about a, a lot of, I mean, you brought up the issue, Chris, of the, you've used the word climate change and you've also used the word the fires in Maui, okay? The intersection here is the following. Um, the climate change, climate does change. It always changes, okay? Um, the issue is this. There has been a theory put forward by an organization called uh, the International Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, and it started around in the uh, mid-80s, right? Uh, really perpetuated by a guy called Al Gore. And the concept is that CO2, which is a greenhouse gas, is being trapped in the atmosphere, right? And that CO2 gas is going to cause an increase in the... Um, the temperature of the earth, the surface temperature of the earth. Okay, so this is a theory. Now, from a pure scientific standpoint, we need to recognize the following. You know, the sun is this radiative body. It puts out so much radiation that hits the earth, right? To be specific, the sun puts out 340 watts per meter, per square meter that hits the earth. 140 of that bounces off the earth's surface, and that means 200 watts per meter comes into the earth. By simple energy balance, that other 200 watts per meter has to be dissipated. Well, the Earth has a process called convection, which is the interaction of the ocean water with the atmosphere. And through this very complex process, the Earth has this amazing ability to dissipate this other 200 watts per meter. Now, the quote-unquote climate change proponents claim that because of the man-made CO2, right, that we're not going to eliminate, we're not going to be able to dissipate all that heat and that heat is going to be trapped in the earth and it's going to increase temperature. Okay. So we do know greenhouse gases can increase temperature. The issue comes though, Chris, how much, how much that is what science is concerned about. You know, you can take a little bit of salt or you can take a lot of salt, but based on what you take, you can cause damage to your body or be beneficial for your body. So in science, we're looking at how much now, the climate models that were used to make these assumptions were based on a mathematics that is actually unsolvable, which means you can even, you, will, you can win a million dollars right now for actually being able to model the, what's called the turbulent fluid. And we're talking about two turbulent fluids, the atmosphere and the oceans. No one's been able to do this. In fact, if you actually bother reading the IPCC reports, which I have, there's about 120 models. And every model gives a very different answer. So for example, if you look at these models prediction of how much Arctic ice will melt, one model says 100% will melt over the, by 2050. Another says zero will melt. And in fact, there's like the Baskin Robbins flavors. There's one flavor for everyone. So this is not science. What is science? What is evidence in science? And as a scientist, I can tell you, evidence is reproducible predictions. If an apple is at this height and I drop it, I can predict exactly how long it'll take to drop to the ground using Newton's equations. I don't get 10 different answers. I'll get one answer. Okay. They have 120 different answers. This is not science. And therefore, they're not able to actually tell us 
how much the Earth's temperature is going to heat by any level of it. It's basically an error. More importantly, if you look at these models, guess what? They didn't include clouds in their model. Okay. Clouds were not included in the model and more than enough evidence by the work of Dick Lindzen at MIT now shows clouds have an amazing effect to control the Earth's surface temperature, no different than the iris of your eye. If I shine a bright light, your eyes just don't say wide open. They know how to close, you know, and in the similar close and open, right? In the similar way, they did not include clouds. So the models are completely bogus. So that's a very important point I just want to make from a scientific standpoint, that these models are based on nonsense. In fact, they don't predict anything. <coughs> now, getting to the wildfires, let's talk about something that's, you know, I did a whole video on the Canadian wildfires. First of all, if you want, you know, fires do take place. Wildfires do occur. However, the way that you control fires is through adequate forest management. You invest in infrastructure of proper airplanes, which can actually dump water. You have high penalties for arsonists that do cause a lot of these fires. And you also allow the people on the ground, farmers who know what to do, to, to do their natural process of clearing the ways so fires are contained. Well, none of these processes have been supported, be it in Maui, be it in Australia where the fires have taken place, be it in Canada or any of these places. In fact, it appears by all evidence that the leadership of these regions, be it in Hawaii, be it in Canada, be it in Australia, actually want fires to take place. Why? Well, I'll give you the case in point is that if you take uh, Canada, for example, uh, you know, they want to impose a carbon tax on all the working people by saying, oh, my God, climate change is going to occur. Right. We can't have, um, you know, all this uh, more CO2 in the environment. So we're going to start taxing you. So uh, Canada wants to take its carbon tax of $70 per ton up to $170 per ton. All right. So they really want to triple the carbon tax. And so what better way to triple the carbon tax and to convince the masses, oh, my God, look at these forest fires are being caused by climate change. Therefore, you should happily, you know, give your taxes so we can control these fires. So in my view, if you look at Maui, by all the evidence, people have been saying for many, many years that the basic infrastructure wasn't in place to control these forest fires. So the reality is, and, and by the way, arsonists really don't get that much penalty. There's really not a any type of serious liability, serious penalty to, to being an arsonist. So it's, it seems to me, by all evidence, that there is an economic incentive to support forest fires from occurring because the economic incentive is a government's, state government, federal government, can impose carbon tax on its people. So that's where, so that's the linkage between these forest fires and climate change. There's a bogus science that's been created on climate change, absolutely nonsensical science that shows no evidence. And that bogus science, which is basically marketing, is being used as a basis to support carbon tax of working people. And what better way to amplify that marketing with ensuring that you don't put the right infrastructure in place in these states and these regions where you know forest fires are going to take place? Well, that's, a, that's an excellent answer. Uh, using science uh, with actual evidence-based science, not models. Uh, 
I'm sure the GOP, are, their heads, heads are spinning uh, with that one. So, well, well, the bottom line is none of those candidates on the stage, A, can even talk to the reality uh, why all these climate change models are bullshit because they don't even know the science. They'll just probably be listening to my words and mimicking it. None of them can actually explain to people in very simple ways why these models are bullshit. None of them have actually read the IPCC report. All right. And anything they say today, they'll contradict tomorrow. But if you look at what I've been saying for the last decade, it's always been consistent to this point that the climate change bullshit is being done to impose a carbon tax on working people and small businesses. It's literally a tax on the poor again. That's what it really is. Well, thank you for that explanation. And we'll move on to our next question. Uh, abortion has been a losing issue for Republicans since Dobbs' dis decision. Six states have passed pro-abortion laws by referendum, including several red states. How you address this issue? issue? Well, look, um, you know, the abortion issue was, you know, uh, designed, you know, at its, its first level to always be a state's right issue, right? The state should be able to decide what the Supreme Court did was give it back to the states, which I think was a good thing. So ultimately, because we live, you know, the United States is a republic, right? You know, we're a republic where the individual states have the rights to do that. So I think rightfully so, the Supreme Court passed it back to the states. So the states have the rights to do what they want to do based on each state can do, you know, they have all different ways they can do it. They can do it by vote, they can do it by referendum, et cetera. And so that natural process is taking place, which I think is how it should occur, Chris. Now, on a personal note, for me, you know, you could say that I'm uh, pro-life and pro-choice. Let me explain that, okay? The right-wing Republicans, you know, you know, from a Christian perspective, which I honor and which I support, are talking about from the time... Um, of when life starts, you know, from a, as a biologist, I can tell you life by all accounts start as, starts at conception, period. Okay. And anyone who argues against that is out of their mind from a scientific basis. So life begins at conception. So I think rightfully so people want to protect that life and make sure that that life is honored and treated, which I support. But here's a contradiction I have that, that uh, the contradiction I see with many of these right wing evangelical Republicans who rightfully support that. They seem to support that up until the baby comes out of the womb. But after the baby comes out of the womb, they don't seem to be pro-life anymore. They're fine with Monsanto polluting the world. They're fine with, uh, you know, GMOs being created. They're fine with, you know, poisons in the atmosphere. And you can see this consistently. Many of the pro-right wing pro-life Republicans actually support, uh, give support Monsanto, support genetically engineered foods and so on, and support the poisoning of the environment, which obviously affects that child after it comes out of the womb. Uh, many of them are actually fine uh, with supporting countries like Israel and Zionism and imperialist wars, where young working class people are sent to die, you know, 17, 18, fighting for the bourgeois, you know, of the, of, of the 0.1%. So I think if you're truly pro-life, then truly be pro-life at a very fundamental level. And that concept of pro-life, you know, needs to go before the womb and after the womb, you know, in my view. That's, to me, 
truly a systems-based concept of pro-life. Not just saying, well, I'm pro-life. I want to make sure they don't kill the babies. Great. But what about after your baby's born? If you look at the reality right now, between 1980 to today, the United States life expectancy is going down. Let me repeat that again. Between 1980 to today, the life expectancy is going down. And that's the curve. And I can share with you that curve right here if you want to see it because I wanted to make it accessible to everyone. Let me share with you that curve. And if you go right here, this is the curve, Chris. You see this curve here? Since 1980, this dark line represents the life expectancy of all the industrialized nations going up. But you start seeing in 1980, we've been going wackadoodle. And this represents the fact that we're destroying the immune system of the U.S. population. And right even before COVID, look what's been happening. Right. So if you have a child, a son or a daughter today, get ready. Your son or daughter is going to have a lower life expectancy than you. And to me, this is not pro-life. This is anti-pro-life. And this curve going downward is a result of both Republicans and Democrats policies, policies that have affected your biology over the last nearly 60 years, going back to the Kennedys. And that's what we're talking about. Neither wing really is truly pro-life. So I'm glad we're talking about abortion because ultimately it leads to the issue of life. And the life expectancy of the United States public is going downward. So if you have a child, your child is going to have a lower life expectancy than you. So this is why we need to stop voting for the lesser of two evils. It's time that we vote for someone like me who's one of us for a systems overhaul. There's no way out of this. And no other candidate on that stage will even discuss that curve because it'll expose all of them as frauds. They're not pro-life. Uh, yeah, I was, I was going to ask, like, uh, either side seems totally uh, to overlook this issue uh, completely. They, they, they don't even mention it. it. It seems to me like they're avoiding that uh, uh, totally. And I, I totally agree. What, when do you think, uh, what do you think was the trigger that really started that uh, decline? Do you think there's a nexus point? Yeah. So um, I think the key thing to recognize is if you look at that graph very, very, I'll bring it back up, right? What's important to understand is this is not a pro-vax and anti-vax thing. You notice the curve has been going wackadoodle since 1980. This is a result, Chris, and everyone listening and to the American people out there, right? This is a result of not any one issue. It's a result of a whole bunch of interconnected policies. It's a systems problem. You're looking at a systems scientist. I look at problems and I try to see the interconnections among things to find the real truth. And what you find is Republican and Democrat, Republican and Democrat, Republican and Democrat, Republican and Democrat, for the last 60 to 70 years have colluded together to create policies to destroy your health. Let's take very recently, 2020, lockdowns. Lockdowns were supported by Booby Effing Kennedy Jr., a Democrat. They were supported by Trump. They were supported by Fauci. They were supported by both wings of the establishment. In 2020, I was the only person, the only scientist in the world, the only candidate on that stage who not only spoke up vociferously against lockdowns, but led massive demonstrations across the country against them. Why? Because I know the policy of lockdowns affects oxidative stress in your body, will create inflammation in your body, will affect mitochondrial respiration. You see what I'm saying? 
Lockdowns, why do I say that? Because when you lock down someone, they get depressed. Depression leads to all these ailments in your body. Depression leads to people taking antidepressants, which leads to destruction of the immune system. Okay, lockdowns fundamentally, you know, you don't get enough vitamin D. Well, vitamin D from the sun is critical to immune health. So think about what I just said. This singular policy of lockdowns killed people. Trump killed people, Booby effing Kennedy killed people, and every one of those people on the stage, including Ron DeSantis, and all of them in 2020 were supporting lockdowns. It took him one year, one year to say he's against lockdowns. Well, by that time, pharma actually had made, pharmaceutical companies actually had made, you know, $80 billion. So all these guys that were too little, too late, delayed truth. I was the only guy. Why? Because I'm one of us, man. I care about working people. These people don't. They can run off to, you know, some beach. They can go off to their private beaches and get all the vitamin D they wanted, right? And that's what many of them did. They didn't wear masks at parties. You saw it all. The global elites did all of this. But I was the one who called out lockdowns, number one. So that's one policy. Let me give you another policy. Income inequality, as we just talked about. You know how much stress that creates in the average individual? The fact that you only have $400 on a rainy day, that stress affects your cortisol and your adrenals, okay? When your body's not able to modulate cortisol, you get all types of inflammation taking place in your body, which leads to all other kinds of diseases, right? So, so I'm, I've given you two examples, lockdowns, income inequality. Let me give you another one, Obamacare, right? Or the entire healthcare system, which by the way, Trump didn't really address at a fundamental level, Republicans and Democrats. This the entire healthcare system has divorced the doctor being even able to see the patient. In the old days, a doctor would look at the patient, would look at your eyes, your face, your tongue, you had a family doctor. Now, starting the 1970s with the monopolization <clears throat> and the collusion between big pharma, big hospitals and big insurance, they created all these layers between the doctor, the family practitioner and you. So there's no more intimacy of really understanding your body on a personalized level. The doctors are told what to do by the insurance companies. And doctors, most of them, don't even understand the ankle bone is connected to the foot bone. Most doctors are egomaniacs. They don't take a systems approach to the body. They will never tell you they don't know because they're taught to be basically a robot. And by the way, mark my words, the next five years, 90% of these doctors are going to be replaced by robots because they can do that because that's what doctors are. If this, give this drug. If this, you know, cut this out of your body. That's pretty much it. So this is why I keep saying we need a systems overhaul. We cannot be voting for the lesser of two evils. For the first time in American history in a long time, you have someone like me, one of us, trained engineer, trained scientist, you know, mowed lawns, played baseball, came bottoms up, one of you. And so the real choice is why is it that I had to leave the Republican Party and run as independent? Because, and, and obviously, a guy of my skin tone should have been embraced by the Democrats. But neither of these parties serve any of us anymore. So it's time for us to build a bottoms-up movement. And that's what Shiva for President's about. It's about us. It's about you and me uniting bottoms-up and letting go of these idiots. There's eight and nine idiots in the GOP right now. Trump, the other idiot, didn't even bother coming. But... There's a nine idiot circus going on. And our discussion right here is the one that everyone should be listening to. Those people listening to it, share this everywhere. Go troll Fox News right now. Tell them to come here. 
Love it. This is, yeah, this is where the real discussion is taking place right now. And uh, so uh, you mean I to tell me you didn't get a million dollar? David Newman just donated $10. Thank you, David. Oh, awesome. Yep. You mean to tell me you didn't get a million dollar loan, Dr. Shiva, to start your first business? No. Oh. Every business I've started, I've done by taking a product, delivering it to a customer, customer funded development, everything I've done. So if I didn't deliver anything, I didn't get a paycheck. You know, um, you know, I didn't have VC hedge fund guys. And by the way, since you're bringing that up, this disgusting fellow, by the way, they had to go find a brown guy to try to mimic me. And this turd, I call him Vivek the snake. That's what he is. Let me tell you why he's a snake. This guy's an absolute scumbag. And he should not, not only should he not be allowed on the debate stage, but I believe he should actually be in jail. Let me tell you why. Several years ago, about five to 10 years ago, he started a company called Axovant. And you can look it up, A-X-O-V-A-N-T. And what he did was he went and bought for $5 million a drug from one of the big pharma companies called GSK. And for $5 million, he goes and buys his drug. Now, this drug was developed by GSK, a multi-billion dollar pharma company, to fight Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. And guess what? It failed all four clinical trials. Four clinical trials, it failed. Everyone, please write this down. It failed. So he goes and buys this drug for five million bucks, puts it in his new company, and then has his mother. I mean, this is you can't write this. His mother, who's a physician, take one of the failed clinical, clinical trials, reanalyze the data by throwing out all the people who didn't complete the trial. It's called a completer analysis. And voila, they represent the new results of essentially just redoing the clinical study. They didn't even do a clinical trial. They just redid the data and they presented this as a amazing drug that should work. Then they took that company public, raised billions of dollars. Now he knows that this failed four clinical trials, raises money, cashes out about $50 million personally, and then waits about two years, and then does a clinical trial knowing it's going to fail on patients. And the stock tanks. In fact, they had to shut down the company. In fact, they changed the name of the company. And I just looked at it April 2023. They shut it down. This guy's a fucking scam artist. He's not interested in people's health. And this is the same reason why the life expectancy is going down. Because scam artists like him who get a Yale Law degree and get a Harvard Biology degree are supported to scam people. It's not about healthcare. It's about actually creating death, making money. It's financial engineering. And these are the kind of people that are on the debate stage right now. And not one of those people, be it Fucker Carlson or be it any of these people who have interviewed this scumbag, has asked them about that. So they give them wonderful layup questions. So, but again, a guy like me who actually works for a living is a scientist can call this out and educate people. But this guy, Vivek the snake, should, you know, someone should take a bat and beat the snake. That's what people should do. He's a, he's a, he's a real vicious, filthy, scumbag snake. Again, $5 million bought a drug, a useless drug, okay? Redid the marketing, took money out, and then did clinical trials on people. This guy should be completely... His, all of his companies should be shut down. No one should allow any of his companies to do clinical trials on anyone. It's disgusting. I totally agree. Uh, we could spend all night talking about uh, 
uh, Vivek and his uh, all his misdeeds. But uh, we'll, we'll move on to the next question. Uh, American cities are in decline. Americans are moving out as crime and homelessness are moving in. How do we solve this? So let's talk about that. By the way, I wanted to thank someone else on our online call who just donated 50 bucks to our campaign. Thank you. Let me just, uh, and by the way, we're not asking, if you notice, we're not begging people for donations. I just want to make a point here. If you want to help our campaign, go to Shiva for President and volunteer. You know, volunteer, you know, download one of these flyers and hand it out to your friends. It says the lesser of two evils is killing our children. And you'll see the graph is there. We need to educate our people neighbor to neighbor. Go get one of these wonderful bumper stickers I'll show you, you know, put it on the back of your car, okay? Very simple. You'll reach 100,000 people. We need to build a bottoms-up movement, and that's what we're doing. We've built it, but we need to escalate it. But let's talk about this question you're asking, Chris. You know that we teach people system science to people in our movement. In system science, there's three fundamental principles that affect everything in the universe. Your body, you know, an airplane, a city, a, a country. One of them is the aspect of freedom, the ability to move freely to talk freely, right? That's one aspect. Well, that's been destroyed by the passage in November 16th, 2018 of SISA. Trump destroyed it. The vote, the, the creation of the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency violated the First Amendment, where Congress shall pass no law to abridge freedom of speech. That's what they did. It was voted unanimously by every person in the House and unanimous consent in the Senate. Think about that. Every scumbag, Congress and the executive branch supported the creation of CISA. So we don't have this freedom anymore, particularly on social media, number one. So that's one principle, movement, transport. Another principle in system science is called the ability to take ideas, to take things and convert them to find what truth is, practice the scientific method. But we don't have that anymore, Chris, because the institutions of academia are completely corrupt, right? We can't really fight for freedom because if you try to do a lawsuit to win freedom, the judges are corrupt. And we know that from my own lawsuit. But the third principle is some, something called the structural principle, infrastructure, okay? In our, from a, from a systemic standpoint, it's health, right? Your health is your infrastructure. With health, you can fight for freedom. With health, you can do great science. So when you look at a society, we need freedom, we need the ability to do science, but we need infrastructure, healthy infrastructure. And that's where um, I look at security, right? Where you look at the physical infrastructure. Are you supporting uh, uh, infrastructure that we don't have crime? And the reason at the heart of this, this is taking place is think about someone who gets elected to Congress. If you get elected to Congress, you have two years. The day you get elected to office, what are you doing? You're trying to get reelected. The day someone gets into the Senate, they're working on getting reelection. And why is this important to understand? Because there's three buckets of the economy. One bucket is equity, which is giving away free stuff to people, welfare, taking care of people, you know, who are destitute. The second bucket of the economy is called security, right? Protecting the borders, right? Um, just one second, please. protecting the borders, right? And the third is infrastructure, inner city infrastructure, right? Putting proper police force in, right? All those things. Now, if you got elected to Congress and you have two years, what do you typically vote on? You vote on stuff that's going to get you reelected. 
So you vote on equity, maybe sometimes on security, but never do you vote on infrastructure because that's a long-term play. If you're AOC or Bernie Sanders or any of the Republicans, they infrastructure is way on the bottom of the list because the day they get elected, they're going to try to get reelected. Okay, so they never make the hard choices. Um, so the only way out of this, in my view, is this is why term limits are very, very important to address this issue. And I think, in my view, we need to change things. That have, we, this way, we need a systems overhaul. I think a president should be elected for eight term for eight years, right? And you're done. A congressperson should be elected for four years and a senator for eight, eight years. And that's it. And all elections should take place at the same time. So you're done. And that will resolve not only term limits, but you're not there. You have enough time to do what's right for the country. And that's a fundamental issue. So if that's done, people are going to vote for infrastructure because they're going to do what's right. And they know they don't have another gig. They're in and they're out. Right. And that's what the founders wanted. You weren't. This wasn't supposed to be a lifetime job. This is supposed to be you serve and you go back to your job. Well, most of these people don't have a job. So that's why they're doing this. So if you intersect what I just said from a systems perspective, these people do not put any infrastructure in the inner cities. So if you don't have infrastructure, if you don't have proper educational opportunities, if you don't have any of these things, that's where crime comes from, right? There's a direct relationship between crime, income inequality, and feeling hopeless. That's where all these things are connected. But you solve that with infrastructure. And system science tells us that. You take care of your physical infrastructure. Think about yourself. Maybe you start exercising. You start eating right. Now you have the wherewithal, right, to go fight for freedom. Now you have the wherewithal to maybe go discover stuff, be an innovator, an entrepreneur. But if your personal infrastructure is screwed up, you're not really going to do much. And that same at the at the microcosm at the macrocosm at the macro level, we've done that with many of these inner cities. So we must create the conditions that we focus on infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. Period. Excellent. I I love your approach there. Yes, the the cities need infrastructure, and that I mean that really goes back to what you said all along uh, is the basis and root of all. Uh, in, you know, in, income inequality. So I, I love that answer. So in this kind of this next question kind of dovetails right into that. Uh, this weekend in Milwaukee, there were 30 shootings. Uh, school shootings have increased as well. Democrats blame uh, easy access to guns. What do you believe is the solution to this problem? Yeah, as as so those of you listening, you know, this is, again, a um, an opportunity for all of you, the American people, those of you who want to really lead and get involved to recognize that when you start looking at the world as a system, you yourselves can start to answer this question. OK, about I think six months ago, we did a whole uh, four hour uh, workshop on gun violence. You may remember, Chris, and we really did this deep systems analysis. So the left wing, the Democrats, say, oh, gun violence is because access to guns, right? And they want to destroy the Second Amendment. On the other hand, the right-wing Republicans say, no, 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 I want my guns. This is being caused by these kids are watching too many video games or they're on drugs, okay? And so you have this, this issue. And the, the reality is both wings of the establishment will then send out emails to raise money off of that, okay? Rand Paul will send out email, oh, they want to take away our guns, right? It has to do with, you know, people on antidepressants or whatever, right? 
and he'll get cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching money because they split the working people in two. The Democrats send money saying, oh, my God, these right wing Republicans, you know, want to kill all of us. Give me money. So you see, it's a money raising exercise. They do not want to address the real issue of gun violence. They don't. Now, if you really go read some of the wonderful research papers done on this and you connect the dots, the real reason for gun violence is income inequality. Period. No one wants to talk about that because neither wing of the establishment wants to address income inequality. The Democrats will talk about it, but they don't want to solve it. The Republicans may talk about it. Oh, my God, we need innovation. We need entrepreneurs. We need market economy. But they don't create market economies. They create monopolies. So both wings of the establishment do not want to address income inequality. And enough research has been done to show that if you go look at nearly 95% of these school shooters, particularly the kids, they came from neighborhoods where they had massive income inequality. So there would be a city here and another city here, wealthy city, poor city, and these kids would experience this income inequality. And over time, it builds up tremendous amounts of rage over time. There was a very interesting clinical study done, interesting enough, looking at uh, violence on airplanes, okay? And they found that a, a significant number of those violent uh, events took place of where a guy in economy class would walk into first class and back, okay? And he said, wow, they have it really good over there and I, I'm living like in a shithole over here. The point is when people observedly see these market differences, it starts affecting a certain percentage of the population. It may not affect everyone. You're creating a percentage of the population which becomes very sensitized to this. So if you look at the last shooting in Uvalde, that kid was working at a Wendy's. He wasn't just some, you know, nobody, right? He was trying to hold a job. And over time, this rage builds in people. Now, that rage may then lead to people taking drugs or whatever, right? But the core of it is income inequality. And that's what we need. So if we really want to solve gun violence, we don't need to get rid of the Second Amendment, right? And it's really not about drugs or video games. It's income inequality. And no one wants to address this because it will expose the fact that both wings of the establishment are part of the swarm. They don't want to help everyday working people. They're fine with having a pandemic where, you know, 600 billionaires, you know, um, increase their wealth by 2.3 trillion. This is a fundamental systems issue, right? So how do we resolve that? There's only one way. We have to build a bottoms up movement. The elites aren't going to give us anything. So if you, again, if you look at what I said between 1900 and 1970, as the economy grew, everyone's wages grew. Between 1970 till today, as the economy grew, the first and second income quartiles, their wages have shrunk. $47 trillion got transferred. That is a reason for gun violence, income inequality, period. Let's go solve that systems issue, or we just divide people along left and right all day long, which is what they want. Excellent answer. It's, it's very interesting. So, so you're saying you're not going to uh, become president and wave a magic wand and magically gun violence. We actually need to be active and uh, proactive in, in changing our communities bottoms up. That's a interesting. And yeah. And, and the reality is people have to recognize everyone listening to all the American people. We're at a very critical point. Do you want to be bullshitted to and hear sound bites and see who will bullshit you better? Because many of these clowns up there literally are watching me every day and they literally take my sound bites because they know this is 
I stand for the truth and we actually, I walk the walk and I'm one of us, you know, I'm, you know, I'm one of you. So they literally will, they know right now, Chris, they're watching, they have all the data of all 330 million Americans. They know people are pretty pissed off and they hate both wings of the establishment. And they know the movement for truth, freedom and health in our campaign is grabbing people for wildfire. So what they're doing is first making me invisible on their media and amplifying the fake heroes by stealing my messages. And that's what's going on right now. And so the issue is, do you as a person watching this, share this with all your friends. Do you wanna to continue to be bamboozled by these fools? By these fools who know nothing about your suffering. I know about your suffering because I've had to fight injustice all my life since a four-year-old kid fighting the caste system, you know, making sure that if I created something, people didn't steal it, making sure that food service workers got a fair wage while I was at MIT, making sure any person could go to an institution like that, poor kids, poor white kids, black kids, et cetera. I've been fighting all my life, not all, you know, because I'm one of you. So these people are not one of us. So that's what we need to recognize. So they will never take the systems approach because they actually want people to, they, they like gun violence. They don't want to solve gun violence. Excellent, excellent. So let's move on to our next question here. Speaking of not one of us, let's talk about golden toilet seat man himself. Former President Trump has been indicted in four states on 91 charges. On, on 91 charges. Uh, should Republicans still support him if he is convicted? Well, look, let's go to the reality here, okay? Let's talk about Trump. Many of you know that um, you know, I have great hatred towards what the 0.1% do to the rest of us. Okay. I did a video called the swarm. All right. Many of you know that I have always been an activist since I've been 17 years old. You'll, you'll see me when I'm a 16, 17 year old kid distributing flyers like this. You'll see me tomorrow going down to the South station, educating people. I believe in activism on the ground. I realized after watching the Reagan Mondale election of 1984 and a guy called Jesse Jackson, how both wings of the establishment sucker people back into the establishment. So I never voted until Trump ran. Now, Trump said enough anti-establishment things. I was intrigued. However, it took me a while to realize that he was part of the swarm. The right wing needed, had a vacuum. They had the obvious establishment. They didn't have the not so obvious establishment wing. So they needed Trump to sucker people in. Trump was selected. If you are a MAGA cult member and you believe elections are selections, then how was Trump elected? And don't give me the answer, oh my God, he won overwhelmingly. No, he was selected. The reason Trump was selected was because go back the eight years before Trump, it was a guy called Obama. 57% of Trumpers voted for Obama, which means a lot of white working class voted for Obama. He was presented as a Manchurian candidate, comes out of nowhere, just like Vivek the snake comes out of nowhere, okay? Obama comes out of nowhere, gets promoted, and for eight years, this fool, Obama, bamboozled white and black working class people. He told them, I'm going to fight for you. But on the midnight of 2008, he saved all the big banks. He printed $8 trillion, right? So the working class in this country were done with him. So they needed a white working class, a white hero. Bring in Trump. Like it's like casting time. Okay, we're done with Obama. We need the white dude. So if elections are selections, Trump was selected. 
And for the next four years, Trump bamboozled, bamboozled the white American working class who are the tip of the spear of truly protecting the Bill of Rights. And what happened over those four years? It was under Trump, we printed $8 trillion in one term. It was under Trump, the swamp increase. It was under Trump, we had lockdowns. It was under Trump, failing pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer, who went from $65 billion in revenue to $40 billion in revenue were tanking, got resurrected. Trump did for big pharma what Obama did for big banks. Pfizer's revenue went from 40 billion up to 80 billion, and then under Biden to 100 billion. Both Trump and Biden took in a million dollars for their inauguration uh, funds from Trump, from from Pfizer. Okay, so the bottom line is Trump is one of them. He's not one of us. So let's get that out of the head. Now the elites among themselves, like gangsters, have their own petty fights. It's like watching WWE wrestling, Chris. This is none of our worries. Let them kill each other. Let them annihilate each other. Let them indict each other. It's all theater. And the theater here is to keep you glued to them. Oh my God, they're indicting Trump. I got to give him some more money. You may only have $400 in your bank account, but you're giving this guy with golden plate of toilet seats who's got billions of dollars in his bank account and you have $400 and you're giving $100. You're giving him 25% of your savings to a guy who doesn't give a damn about you. You have to check in and check your head. Why are you doing that? And the reason you're doing that is because you're believing in this artificial nonsense. It's all theater. That's what it is. Let Trump get indicted. Let Biden get indicted. Why the fuck do we care? This has nothing to do with us. So this is all a distraction. The only way out of this to break out of that diagram, right, where your child is going to have a lower lifespan than you is we need a systems overhaul. And as this thing says, we cannot vote for the lesser of two evils. Fuck Trump. Fuck Biden. Fuck all of these guys. OK, it's time for us. It's time for one of us. We need a systems overhaul unless you're OK with your child having a lower lifespan than you, which means you're a psychopath. So just for clarification, you're saying a lifetime New York uh, liberal elite billionaire is not one of us? No, he isn't. Oh, OK. OK. Think, think about this. Trump last year made $555 million off of his golf courses. He didn't make that kind of money before. All of his businesses were tanking. You know, Jared Kushner got $2 billion from the Saudis. He's as bad as Hunter Biden. The only difference is Hunter Biden has bad PR. Ivanka and Jared have better PR, right? They just hired a better PR agent. So this is the issue. No one listening tonight should give a fuck about Trump, should give a fuck about Biden. We should start giving a fuck about ourselves because look at the data. And I'll bring it up again. Look at the data, everyone. Your child will have a lower lifespan than you. And this has been going on for a long, long time. So let's all get our heads out of you know what and start fighting for ourselves and start, you know, having one of us as our leader, not one of them. Agreed. Agreed. So let's uh, move on to our next question here. Do you believe that Mike Pence did the right thing certifying the 2020 election on January 6th? OK, look, here's the bottom line. Many of you know that in my election in September of 2020, September of 2020, Long before, you know, months before the presidential election, we know for a fact in Massachusetts, they stole my election. 
we had 3000 volunteers on the ground, you know, 25,000 lawn signs, you know, 10,000 bumper stickers. We were everywhere. We raised $2 million in a blue state Republican primary. Who cheated, who cheated that election for me? It wasn't the Democrats. It was the Republicans and the Democrats. This was a Republican primary. So just bear in mind that as an MIT engineer and scientist, it was I who discovered the systemic fundamental issues in our election systems, which was chain of custody. They deleted ballot images, which is completely violation of 52 USC 20701. And... The signature verification systems are flawed. After I discovered that, Trump then got into the election integrity business. But he didn't give a damn to solve these issues. Him and all of his bullshitters who wanted to sell pillows started throwing all sorts of other shit out there because they didn't want to address the real issues that I had uncovered. They wanted to conceal it. So in order to conceal the real issues, they went out there and they talked about all sorts of shit. And they made a ton of money. Both wings did. One guy talking about election integrity, but not really wanting to solve it. Trump made close to half a billion dollars off of my data, but never addressed the stuff. All right. And you know who got half of that money? The RNC. The Republican National Committee, because they split the money between Save America and them, which means that debate that's running right now is because of my hard work, which they never addressed. Okay. The RNC, you can literally trace a line to the work I did and the money they made. So, but they they do not want to address the fundamental issues. So the issue with Mike Pence certifying or not certifying it is frankly immaterial, okay? That's not the real fundamental issue. The real fundamental issue is that we still have fundamental issues in election systems in this country that have not been addressed, period. And what did Trump do with that half a billion dollars that he made off of my work? And off of the money of everyday American people who wanted to see election systems issues addressed, nothing was done. Mike Pence won't do anything about it. Donald Trump won't do anything about it. He will raise a lot of money off of it, and others will sell a lot of pillows off of it. But they don't really care to address any of the election systems issue. They want to create a drama, Pence versus Trump. Come on, guys, they're on the same team. All right? They're not on opposite teams. They're fundamentally on the same team. Any differences they have are frankly very minor differences compared to the differences that we have, which is we really want real election systems that work. Very simple, you know? Solve the signature verification issue. It's a black art. Solve the chain of custody issue. But those two fundamental issues, which I did two very powerful scientific papers on, have never been addressed. Instead, they found disinformation, talk all sorts of wacky shit. So. We're asking the wrong question. The issue is, do any of these people want to address election systems? I would say, you know, a hard no. Trump doesn't want to address it. Mike Pence doesn't want to address it. None of those people on the Republican stage want to address it. Ex excellent answer. Uh, yeah, addressing fundamental elections systems problems, uh, both sides seem to benefit from having a shit show at the voting booth. So I, I loved your answer yeah, I mean, to the root of the problem. If you look at any state, you'll find it fascinating. In a state like New Hampshire, which is supposed to be Republican, what's fascinating is at the local level, at the state level, the Republicans win. But at the federal level, the Democrats win. How is that possible? And I'll tell you how. They have horse trading. 
the Republicans say, okay, we're going to let you win the state and we're going to we're going to take the state elections. We get to control the billions of state dollars and all the graft and corruption. And we'll let you control the federal monies coming in. Go look at Michigan. You know, at the state level, the Republicans won all the local House and Senate state seats locally. But the federal level, they lose. They're doing horse trading, everyone. It's all a racket. Follow the money. This has nothing to do with elections because they can manipulate these elections at will. So why am I running then, Chris? I'm running because I'm, we're giving people a real option, but the option is we must build a, a bottoms-up movement. It is movements that change the world. Excellent, excellent. Uh, moving on to some foreign policy. Uh, the U.S. has committed $77 billion in aid to the Ukraine war. Congress has asked for another $22 billion. Would you support further aid to Ukraine? Well, first of all, let's remember it was the Republicans. It was the the architecture of our involvement in in um, Ukraine goes to Condoleezza Rice. OK, it was a war hawk Republican, you know, under the Bush administration. So we have to go back to where all this started. Condoleezza Rice gave a very, very famous speech at a university in 2013 where she said, we must make sure that Europe is no longer reliant on Russian energy. 2013. 2014, voila, under Obama, right? You see this thing called the Maiden Revolution take place, supported by John McCain, another Republican, and Obama. So a duly elected uh, president of Ukraine, who is very pro-Russia, is ousted. And they put in a president who's pro-US. It was a coup that took place. And that guy, by all accounts, was a Nazi, pro-Nazi force. And so when you look at Ukraine, the eastern province of Ukraine was really upset at what took place. They knew the U.S. did the coup. And this person was pro-U.S., which means pro-U.S. oil. And ensuring that the, the Ukraine, Ukraine has a number of places for oil and gas, Shell, Exxon, all went into Ukraine started initially figuring out ways whether they could pump the gas and oil out through a pipeline and send it to Europe. The goal was to um, get dependency off Russia. Well, uh, Putin got hold of this and he kicked these people out. But more importantly, the eastern uh, province of Ukraine, where um, you know generations of families remember Hitler, remember fighting the Nazis, they were so upset they no longer wanted to be part of Ukraine. They held a national referendum. And they decided to divest from Ukraine. All right. But you have to understand this started by Republican policy, Hawk, Condoleezza Rice architecting this, then executed by regime change scumbag Hillary Clinton, supported by Republicans and Democrats. So let's just get this clear. Once again, both wings of the establishment who serve big oil, who serve American big oil interests, wanted to have Europe dependent on U.S. oil. And they, and they did that. They blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, right? Now Germany and all those countries have to depend on U.S. LNG. So now um, uh, liquid natural gas is flowing from places like Louisiana, right, up to uh, Europe. So they've executed their mission flawlessly. And again, let's look at it from a step back, thinking about, you know, for the movie Godfather, right? 
we don't want, we're, we're like the peasants caught in the crossfire. Putin himself is an oligarch, right? They have oligarchs, minor oligarchs in Ukraine, and we have oligarchs in the United States, all right? How these oligarchs fight, has, we don't gain anything from it. So when they send money to Ukraine, that's depletion of U.S. resources that should go into infrastructure. When Putin puts money there, that's depletion of resources that's actually being depleted from the Russian people, right? Because they're supporting a minor set of people. But at the end of the day, the only way to fundamentally change this is, is through movements. Because ultimately, right now, Ukraine, the Ukrainian people are being used as a proxy for U.S. imperial interests. And they don't give a damn about the Ukrainian people. They don't give a damn about the Russian people. Um, and we also know that many, many U.S. soldiers are covertly already involved in training in Ukraine. So there is an open war going on in Ukraine. And outwardly, we think $70 billion went, went. But we know that a lot of that $70 billion that went to Ukraine gets funneled back to the pockets of these politicians back in the U.S. It's a big money laundering operation, Chris. That's what it fundamentally is. And the left and the right are both supporting this war because they're both profiting from it. And anything you hear from them saying, oh, we don't support the war, it's all just bullshit. Any one of those people on the stage, it's all just theater. And none of it's real. At the end of the day, they'll do what the military industrial complex wants them to do. So many on the GOP stage may say uh, Putin is a madman and he must be stopped at all costs. Uh, is there a peaceful solution in Ukraine? Well, look, first of all, you know, as president, I would pull out of NATO. OK, that's the first thing. Um, uh, the creation of NATO was to, you know, um, you know, uh, to stop Soviet Union from expanding. Well, there is no more Soviet Union. OK, um, many very, very rational people and other scholars have written about this. There's no need for NATO. NATO exists to keep NATO existing. That's all NATO exists for now. So they create crises, they create these situations so they can justify their existence. So the simple solution to this is we should pull out of NATO. There's no reason being in NATO at all whatsoever. It's a very simple solution that could be done as commander in chief with a stroke of the pen. And that's what should have happened, period. And that's what should happen right now, Chris. Excellent. Uh, I, I, I would love to pull out of NATO and uh, I'm sure many of our GOP uh, debaters would disagree with that, but. Uh, <laughs> well, remember, remember every one of them um, is part of this war machine. You know, when you go to Yale, they build a dossier on you. Did you know that? When you get accepted to Yale, just like Oxford, they don't allow any Tom, Dick or Harry into Yale. Yale is one of those very, very elite, you know, old school institutions, legacy admissions. And when you get allowed into Yale and you get that Yale moniker, you're part of a club. They know they can trust you. So look at the two, quote unquote, front runners, right? DeSantis and the snake, Vivek. They're both out of Yale, okay, or Harvard. They're both part of the club. In England, it's, Ox it's Oxford is a club, all right? This is not by, this is not just coincidental. So these guys are in the club. They learn how to just say whatever the hell they need to say, right, to get elected. And they think that's being really smart. They think by being devious, you're a very smart human being. For working people like us, Chris, it's hard for us to fathom that these people are sociopaths, but that's what they are. 
They're absolute sociopaths. They're another being. They're another reptilian race. You can even think about it, right? They're not us. They think in a very, very different way. They think it's okay to say one thing and do another, right? And that this is a smart thing to do. They actually think it's okay that you buy a drug for $5 million, run a scam IPO, knowing it's a useless drug, and then dump it. They think that's smart. Wow, he made a billion dollars. What an intelligent human being. And they actually spit on us thinking that we're not as smart as them. So I think you should just let what I'm saying sink in. These people are not one of us. Yeah, someone said they're lizard people. Exactly. And when you mention lizard people, I can't help but think of uh, John Kerry licking his lips rather, uh, you know, and speaking of Yale, uh, talking about John Kerry and uh, George W. Bush both went to Yale as well. But you saw that idiot Vivek playing tennis. He looks like a salamander lizard running around. Okay. <laughs> so that's what these people are. They're, they're not humans. All right. <laughs> Enough with the lizard people. Let's move on here. <coughs> China has warships off the coast of Alaska and Taiwan. Their maritime militia and coast guard are harassing civilian vessels and other countries like the Philippines and Vietnam in the South China Sea. Two U.S. sailors were just arrested for giving military secrets to China. How do we deal with the threat posed by an increasingly aggressive Chinese <laughs> government? Well, let's first of all understand that the U.S. and Chinese economy are highly intertwined. Okay? And um, U.S. imperial interests have profited from very close relationships with China, left and right. So let's just take that broad view. Um, it was Nixon, a Republican, who opened up from 1970 the, the relationship with China, right? And ever since then, um, because of U.S. imperialist interests, more and more offshoring got done to China, manufacturing, consumer packaged goods, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, you go to Walmart, 90% of the stuff is from China. Walmart, at, at one point, probably is number one or number two in the Fortune 1000, okay? So we have to just take a step back and look at the long arc because remember what the goal of the elites is, to distract us from building a bottoms-up movement so we don't awaken to this graph, okay? The lesser of two evils is killing your children. So let's always keep the big picture. As long as they think, oh, it's China, Oh, it's Russia. Oh, it's it's poor Trump. He's being indicted. They throw all this shit out there. So we, as the masses, no different than that movie Gladiator where they run these games, right? Get distracted from organizing and mobilizing ourselves. So I just want everyone to just close your eyes for a second and think about that graph that I just showed you and think about this concept of the lesser of two evils and think about the fact that they don't want you to look at that graph. Because if you look at that graph, you will realize, holy fucking shit, we're being screwed. And this is being done by both Democrat and Republican and lesser of two evils ain't going to do it anymore. So China is one day the enemy. Okay, if China didn't exist, tomorrow would be India, then it'd be Brazil, and then it'd be Canada, and then it would be New Jersey, and then it would be, you know, like South Park, Canada, you know, you, you blame everyone else. What we have today is a multiracial, global, decentralized elites. I call it the swarm. They're not in any one location. They're everywhere. They're Ch Chinese, 
they're white, they're brown, they're all different colors. So we need to take this global perspective on this, right? The average person who's working in China is suffering in a very similar way to the average working person in the United States, is suffering in many ways under corruption with the average working person in India. If you go back before 2020, before this pandemic hit, I just want everyone to go Google at some point, you will see literally nearly 21 major strikes were taking place across the world. Strikes. People forgot 20 million people protesting in France in 2019. Chile, Venezuela, go look at, and suddenly the pandemic comes and all those strikes go away. And many of those movements were against corruption and income inequality across the world, across the world. So China has had massive movements internally. So they like to distract and blame Taiwan, you say, or blame the US. This is classic way that the elites work. So they distract us, whether we're in the United States or China, because this is, the world has become very, very close now to recognizing that working people who actually produce goods and services are being screwed. So they want us to make the enemy be the Chinese or make the enemy be somebody else. But the reality is that the elites travel in their private planes, to, whether they hang out in Hong Kong today or Macau tomorrow and gamble or Singapore or, you know, Delhi or Sao Paulo, right? They're all moving around. They're in, they're in one swarm circle and you're not part of that. So we need to take a much more realistic perspective on this because the fundamental issue with China is that Chinese economy is very intertwined with the U.S. economy. And we need to recognize that. And in the midst of all the bullshit you hear from time to time, we need to recognize that the elites will always take care of their own. Case in point, Elon Musk had branded China on Twitter as state-owned media on Twitter. The day he lands in China, he takes it off and he says, China and the U.S. are conjoined twins. We have so much in common. When he says we, he's not talking about you and me, Chris, us. He's talking about he and the Chinese CCP. He's talking about he and the Chinese elites. So when they say we and them, we should be very clear of these pronouns, okay? I think we should use the right pronouns in this case, okay? It is us versus them. Everyone should put up on their Twitter or Facebook, I'm an us and they are a them, Okay? That's what we should put. We shouldn't put she, it, her, and whatever, all that nonsense. We should say, you know, Dr. Shiva, us, and Donald Trump, them. Elon Musk, them. Joe Rogan, them, right? DeSantis, them, and us. It is us versus Jem. And that's what we need to recognize. And so I, I really want people to awaken to this concept that this has been going on for 3,000 years, always ensuring that the slaves fight among the slaves and we don't organize among ourselves. You got someone who came from my background who's telling us that we better organize ourselves and not look to a, a worker in China or to a worker in India or a worker in the United States as enemies because ultimately we're all getting screwed. I love that answer. And I love how you brought up the connection there with Nixon and uh, Henry Kissinger and how they laid the groundwork for this relationship. All Republicans, all Republicans, right? So now it's in vogue to make China the enemy, right? Well, uh, you know, Ivanka Trump doesn't make China the enemy. She's making sure her daughter is learning Chinese really well, right? 
She got all her trademarks in China. Hunter Biden makes sure he's good friends with the Chinese. You see, really look at the left and the right. They're all buddies with the Chinese at the imperial levels. And they want us to make enemies of the Chinese working people. Why? They want us to fight with the Chinese when they're friends with the Chinese. I, I love that you brought up uh, their uh, granddaughter speaking uh, Mandarin in front of G, President G. Uh, it's very I, fascinating. Yeah. So the. And by the way, Trump said something interesting. He goes, he goes, I love Xi Jinping. He, he runs China with an iron fist. You know, we should do that here. What the hell is he talking like a, about? A real, real true American there. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say, but that's what he said. So the MAGA cult needs to get their head out of their ass, you know, and then the left-wing people uh, need to recognize that China doesn't give a fuck about their workers, right? They abuse their workers. They have whole cities called cancer cities, 10 million people with cancer. Horrible, horrible. Yeah. Well, let's uh, move on to the next question here. Uh, earlier this month, images show suspected cartel members crossing the border into Texas with rifles. Would you consider armed incursions like this an invasion? And would you use lethal force to stop these armed cartels crossing the southern border? Yeah, so look. Um, you know, the drug cartels are just the illegal form of the government cartels. Okay. Meaning this, let's, let's be honest. We're looking at organized crime at all levels. The government is an organized crime entity. They have various families, which are all organized crime. Sometimes it's a Kennedy. Sometimes it's the Obama. Sometimes it's a Clinton. Sometimes it's the Trumps, right? And everyone on that stage, one of them will become the next leader of the next organized crime. All right. They have drug cartels, which are sort of the illegal version of the organized crime. And when you hear people coming over the border and letting these crimes take place, this is done by design. Because if you truly wanted to protect the border, you would build a wall and you would get it done, right? You would ensure that quote unquote illegal immigration didn't take place, right? But the reality is both wings of the establishment, again, profit from quote unquote illegal immigration. They profit from this kind of um, events taking place to scare people. Because the left wing needs illegal immigration to support their voting blocks. The right wing needs illegal immigration to hit their profit profitability on Wall Street, right? And at the fundamental level, Chris, they do not want to solve the fundamental immigration issue. They don't really care about border security. As long as they keep these borders in flux, both wings profit from illegal immigration. That's a reality. Why is Congress taking recesses whenever they're about to solve the, oh, we got to go on recess and go on vacation? No. The issue should be that you don't leave. You stay, you pull some all-nighters. You don't leave, bring in beds, whatever you need to bring in, into the chambers and solve this issue. And the real solution to the immigration issue, because that's what this is fundamentally about, and I have a very unique solution to this. If you think about it, there are a lot of illegal immigrants who come here and are working here for 10, 20 years, work very hard. I say take all those people, let's say there's around 20 million of them, and if they are in fact working hard, and I've done some math on this, and you put them on the path to immigration, which means now you start collecting tax revenue, you could collect close to one to two trillion dollars in tax revenue. 
which is nearly 40% of the federal budget, okay? And so many of these so-called illegal immigrants actually work their butts off. And there are a whole bunch of quote-unquote legal immigrants in this country or natural-born citizens living here who are living off disability and scamming the system. Well, maybe we should send them out of the country, you say? So I think we need to reassess what is citizenship, what is someone who's actually working here and someone who's not working here. I know many people who are U.S. citizens who are scamming the system, living off disability, when they're absolutely well-bodied and able to work. You follow what I'm saying? So neither wing of the establishment wants to solve the immigration issue because they're profiting from it. And as president of the United States, I would pass some executive orders to make sure that some of the solutions I'm talking about are executed overnight, right? It would generate revenue for the economy, right? You would start really addressing these immigration issues overnight. Excellent. Well, this kind of uh, also dovetails with that last question, and it's a straight up war hawk question. Uh, would you support sending U.S. special forces into Mexico to take out cartel forces on the Mexican side of the border? Would I support U.S. forces going to take out Mexican? Yeah, it's a war hawk question for sure. Um, well, first of all, we have to recognize that Mexico is a sovereign nation, right? Um, once you start doing shit like that, anything becomes possible, right? But the United States imperialism has always had a policy of going and doing whatever the hell it wants anyway, right? We've gone into Chile. Uh, we've gone into all parts of uh, Latin America and been a police force there to support dictators, etc. I think the real issue to ask is, why isn't Mexico taking care of this? Does anyone know the answer to that? It's a good question. Maybe because they're profiting from the sale of the drugs moving it up into the United States? Yeah. And if you actually unravel this question, I did a video on this several years ago. You'll find out that the drug business, the drug cartels, and um, I don't have time to go through the details, but many U.S. businesses use the drug cartels, listen very carefully, in Mexico to launder money, okay? So they have a way of sending products across the border into Mexico, which gets laundered back into cash and brought back by these cartels. So the drug cartels actually serve many, many U.S. business interests for money laundering. And perhaps I'll redo that video sometime this week or next week, Chris. But there is a reason that the drug cartels are doing this. And there's a reason there's no enforcement because they are serving U.S. very, very powerful business interests to do money laundering. That's what this is really all about. Um, you know, many years ago, I met a very interesting guy who's a multi-billionaire and uh I was very young and he closed my door. He goes, do you know, Shiva, in my business, that it's not about money. It's about weapons, drugs, and women. That is the three commodities that I trade in. Weapons, drugs, and women. So I want people to understand that we as working people have no 
idea, we cannot fathom that there's a, no, a whole nother economy running here and you and I are not part of it. So when we look at a problem, oh, the drug cartels, oh, let's go attack Mexico. It's all just bullshit. It's just, not, it's just noise. You see, these are just, you know, two birds just yapping away. It's just noise. The fundamental issues are much deeper. The reason cartels exist, the reason they go back and forth is because it's a way of doing business for U.S. imperial interests. And we have to awaken to that. And we have to recognize that, again, it is us versus them. What they are doing has nothing to do with us. And when they tell us on a debate stage, oh, what are you going to do about this thing? You know, it's like some, oh, we're going to go and attack Mexico. It's not going to solve anything. It's, again, a distraction. It's a distraction to pound your chest and act like you're talking about something, but you're not talking about anything. It's all bullshit. It's bullshit talk. You might as well just sit on a balcony and have gossip talk all day. That's all it is. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and this, again, kind of dovetails with the previous three uh, questions. Would you finish the wall? Well, first of all, I have no idea why there is not a serious border between the United States and Mexico, okay? There's so many technologies now. Come on. You, you have amazing, I mean, people in Hollywood have amazing walls around their place, right? Um, the issue is, it's not whether it's a wall or not. Why isn't there, I mean, there's so many technologies now, Chris, right? Drones, satellites. I mean, you can see every, I mean, give you an idea. In 1983, when I came in as an undergraduate student at MIT, and I was living in my uh, fraternity house, there was a senior who was working at a very interesting company. This is 1983. And he was working in optics. And he, and he said, you know, I go, what do you do? He goes, I can't talk to you about too much thing because he was a defense contractor. It was a summer job. But he goes, we have a camera from space. I can see a dime. Okay, on a highway. That's in 1983. Now, if you could see a dime on the highway from space in 1983, that's 40 years ago, Chris. You follow what I'm saying? What could you see? What are the kinds of things you could monitor from, from the air? So clearly monitoring can be done from the air, right? So if you can do that kind of surveillance, you're telling me that you can't build a security border along the southern border overnight it doesn't make any sense. So it comes back down to the issue that there's no desire to really, I can't hear you, Chris. What is that? Please continue. Sorry. Yeah. What I'm saying is there is no desire to have border security. There is no desire. And that's the conclusion we have to come to. Whatever Trump says, he's a bullshitter. He said, build a wall. He didn't build a wall. He said, lock her up. He didn't lock her up. He said, drain the swamp. He, he kept the biggest swamp creature in the world, Fauci, right? So whatever Trump says, it's bullshit. Whatever any of those politicians that you're hearing tonight on the debate stage say, it's all bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. They're all bullshitters. Go look at what they actually say and they do. And go look at what I've said and what I've done. It's time that people start looking at these people's histories. This little scumbag, the little, you know, the brown scumbag that they found to mimic me, you know, the snake Vivek, he said he supported mask mandates. 
And I asked him, why did you do that? Oh, he goes, I was being anti-establishment then. Fauci was against masks and I wanted to be pro-masks. That's the kind of stuff he talks about. You see what I'm saying? John, is everything right? Um, so we have to understand that that's what's going on. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And, and to kind of continue on this, uh, as we know, the, without any sort of formal structure in between the United States and Mexico, we have a influx of immigration, uh, immigrants coming through the border. And, uh, since the Biden administration, 7 million, uh, immigrants, uh, migrants have crossed the Southern border during the Biden administration. Would you do, uh, what would you do with undocumented foreign nationals that are already here in the United States? Okay, here's my solution to immigration. I talked about it a couple of years ago. All right. You take the U.S. population. There's various estimates, okay? Let's assume like right now we want to implement a solution. Let's say there's 20 million undocumented workers, okay? All right. Mm -hmm. I would say all of those people, you say, okay, if you are working, like actually working, you know, and many of those people are actually working hard jobs, okay? They're not all like leeches, all right? that we're gonna put you on a path to legal immigration. Obviously, if you're not a criminal and crazy stuff, right? Eliminate all those people, which are in a minority, by the way. And you t give those people the opportunity to come forward. And for those people, you immediately start collecting tax revenue. So now you're generating tax revenue, Chris. And you say, okay, you're gonna be put on a legal path to immigration. You know, like when my dad came here, he initially got his green card. Then he had to wait so many years, right? Then we became a permanent resident and so on, right? And then you could apply for citizenship. So you put those people on some discrete path, but immediately you're collecting tax dollars from them, right? Now they're at least you're generating tax revenue. They're, they're no longer undocumented. You're giving them an incentive and they're on a path to legal immigration. And I think concomitantly to that, this may sound a little bit um, radical, we also need to address the fact that there are American citizens who are stealing from our economy. All right. There's people who are absolutely able bodied and they can work. And they're not working. They're scamming the system. I think we should give those people an opportunity to start working or maybe we deny them their citizenship, too. Right. What does it mean to be an American in 2023? It means you are resolute in the values of this country. You're not a scammer. You work hard. You believe uh, in, you know, in, in uh, working and contributing to the economy. So I would argue many of these, quote unquote, illegal immigrants who come here actually do work. Right. The establishment doesn't want to solve the legal immigration issue. So we put them on a path, obviously, excluding the exception cases, on a path to legal immigration, collect tax revenue. And then you take, you also relook at some of these people who are taking a lot of revenue from the budget, but they're not producing anything. And maybe you have a different model for them too. So you get everyone working and being honest. I love it. Uh, more opportunities. I love it. Well, uh, if you look at the $5 trillion budget, Chris, that's what the U.S. budget is. Did you know only 20% of uh, people are paying taxes to contribute to that budget? 
So out of all the working people, okay, only the $5 trillion is only 20%, it's the 80-20 rule. 80% of the people are not contributing to that $5 trillion. So think about what we're talking about. There's a whole, a very small set of people are actually contributing to the U.S. budget. 80% are not contributing to the U.S. budget. So what's going on? That means people are do not have enough high-paying jobs to even pay taxes properly, okay? Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole bunch of quote-unquote illegal immigrants who are making money, but they're not contributing to the, to the tax base. So I'm saying you got to solve both problems. Get people working who are scamming the system, resolve that. Get the illegal immigrants who are working and get tax revenue from them. And then take the other people who are able-bodied and retool them so they can produce higher performing wages, right? So there's really, a, it's really a, not two-part, but three-part issues that we need to affect. And they're all closely interrelated. Immigration, economy, budget, infrastructure are all closely related. Look, I think it's, look, I'm, I, I came here as an immigrant, right? Your parents' parents came here as an immigrant. People came off the Mayflower were immigrants. Immigrants are the ones who built this country. We should have a policy that we encourage people to work hard. If immigrants want to work hard, reward them. If there are people who are living here who don't want to work hard, de-incentivize you know, them to work hard. Maybe they should, maybe should, we should have a reverse immigration program. You don't work hard, you get the fuck out. We send you back to Guatemala. Go see what it is like there. Go to Costa, you know, not go, go, go to these poor countries where people are coming from. And by the way, it is U.S. imperialism which created the conditions that those people have to flee their countries. We're the ones who supported Pinochet. We're the ones who supported dictators in Guatemala. We're the ones who supported, you know, um, all these assholes in these Central American countries. So the chickens have come home to roost and we're saying, oh my God, the chickens have come home to roost. Well, why, why did the chickens come home to roost? Right? So we got to go back to the systemic issues and address the problems versus bullshitting with just sound bites, you know? So the bottom line is, hey, some of these illegal immigrants, man, they work their butts off. And there are American people who are sitting here who sit at home and watch TV and smoke weed all day. That's what's going on, man. And are we going to take, and there's probably 20 million of those people, Chris, you know, unfortunately, but yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's a lot of immigrants that are good, hardworking, honest people, and there should be a path for them to contribute to the U S uh, economy and, and pay taxes. So I like your position on that. So let's move on to a, a different subject here uh, about are education we, are we keeping, more. Are we keeping up with their questions? The yes, yes, yes. Oh, great. Uh, American kids are falling in, are failing in schools and failing and falling behind in subjects like math and reading. How would you fix American education? Well, look, as someone who, uh, you know, really enjoys reading, writing and arithmetic, and I was brought up on all this. Um, I think these are the fundamentals, but there's something even more fundamental than reading, writing and arithmetic. It's called system science. Um, one of my mentors, Jay Forrester, who was a professor at MIT, He's one of the founders of the science of systems in the you know uh, early 1900s. Um, the reason MIT became a great institution was they taught their graduates how to think from a system standpoint. Uh, 
Um, Jay Forrester died when he was 93, I'm sorry, 99 or something, but he was a teacher at MIT until 93. And he had a vision to teach systems thinking at the kindergarten level. And I've sort of taken that torch. And many of you know, we have this movement called Truth, Freedom, Health. You can go to truthfromhealth.com and check it out. But I have take, created a curriculum that I can teach any child for free, systems thinking. If you're an adult, you pay a little bit and you can give it away to any child as you want. So we've embodied that. But I believe that kids should learn systems thinking first and then reading, writing, and arithmetic. Why? Because when they learn system science, they're going to say, oh, shit, I need reading, writing, and arithmetic. Most people don't understand why they need reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? So when you teach someone systems thinking, you know what you start with? You teach them how to run, let's say, a lemonade stand. It's a good exercise. Well, when you run a lemonade stand, you say, oh, wow, I need to learn how to count. I need to learn arithmetic because you're taking people's money in. Oh, I need to learn how to read because someone's going to and write because you have to create marketing literature, you say. So you start realizing that, that when you set up a lemonade stand, which is a system you have to create, you need to learn how to talk, customer service. You need how to read. You need how to write. You need to learn how to count. You need to learn some accounting. So that's why I believe the foundation of education should begin with system science. And I believe also reading, writing, and arithmetic a broad set of that is training the brain. There are certain things that you have to do repetitively, right? If you want to learn how to be a great golfer, you have to hit a certain number of balls. If you want to be a great pitcher, you have to go out. I mean, I used to throw X number of balls, right? Um, if you want to be a great athlete, you have to do a certain amount of repetitive stuff. Mathematics it doesn't come overnight. You have to do certain problems. Some people will learn, let's say, algebra doing 10 problems. Other people may have to do 1,000 problems. Everyone's skill set varies. But you have to have an environment where these fundamental skills are taught. I'll give you an example. The, uh, uh, regularly, they're the top, you know, the, the, the National Academy of Engineering and Sciences lists the top 10 scientific papers. It used to be Americans were always the top eight or 10. It's no longer true. We're lucky for the bottom uh, bottom uh, nine or 10 now. And this is a fundamental result because you have a bunch of idiots who started running, started with the Department of Education. Before, if you go back to the old schoolroom house, a one-room schoolhouse, Chris, a teacher had a lot of authority. The teacher would look at the students and say, oh, Chris needs to learn this a little more. John needs to learn this a little more. So they tweaked their education because they were heavily involved in a personalized way to deliver the right kind of education to the right students. When this top-down model of education developed by the Department of Education, teachers were, the accountability of teachers was removed, right? They, they just followed a top-down curriculum, just like what doctors do now. It was all centralized. So we have to enable, you know, the Department of Education should be completely busted up. And we have to, more importantly, give teachers a lot more responsibility to figure out what's right for the kids at the individual level. And it's it's a very, very important thing, but certain things have to be repetitive. Like a kid better know how to do division by this age, you know? Uh, you better know how to do trigonometry. Um, and you cannot have this concept of, oh, just because Johnny tried, he should get an A, bullshit. Not when it comes to science and engineering, you know, science, uh, you know, the STEM courses. Because if you build a bridge, and you have to calculate how much force 
that bridge can, you know, you know, you know, certain structures can withstand. You better calculate that perfectly because if you don't, the bridge is going to fall down. If you have to calculate a chemical reaction, right, for some complex chemical engineering, you can't be off by, you know, 0.01. You can blow up the whole plant. Okay. So we have created a whole bunch of people who don't know the practical reality, or have any appreciation for the engineering sciences. Scientists can lie, lawyers can lie, politicians can lie, biologists can lie, but engineers, plumbers, you know, in, uh, you know, electricians, even a mother can't really lie because you're implementing some scientific principle. And if you don't implement it right, things are going to blow up. Airplanes are going to fall out of the sky. So we need to build an engineering mindset. Engineers should really, engineers, plumbers, uh, electricians, mothers should really be running the world because we're systems scientists by nature and we have to keep things running and working. None of those people on that stage know anything about what I'm talking about. I don't think not one guy on that stage is an engineer. I don't think any one of them ever had to build anything, make something work. So how can, go look at Washington. George Washington was a surveyor, right? Jefferson built structures. He was an architect. Franklin could do pretty much anything, right? None of those guys on the stage can build anything. I don't think any of those guys can fix a car, a computer. If something happened in your home, they can fix nothing and they're going to go fix a country. Are you fucking serious? Think about what we're talking about. A country is a system. It's a complex system. And when you have morons run the world, this is what you end up with. You end up with that fucking graph where your child is going to be living a lower lifespan than you. So we need the right person for the right job. We need one of us. And that's why I'm here. Excellent answer. I love that. Um, let's continue with the next question here. Would you allow transgender women, men who transition to women, to participate in women's sports? Or do you believe such bans are government overreach? Um, look, I'm a biologist, you know, I'm a systems biologist, okay? And um, there may be some, there may be some distribution of quote unquote sexuality, you know, some Gaussian distribution. And the thesis I have on this is actually one of sympathy and empathy for these people who are converting. Let me tell you why. Um, and I talked about this many, many years ago, long before Booby F and Kennedy stole my stuff and long before even this fool Alex Jones talked about it, okay? Long before, as a biologist, we know there are things called endocrine disruptors. Um, and it's been shown that environmental toxins or things in the environment can affect endocrine, which, which are fundamentally things that affect your endocrinology, right? Your sex hormones, et cetera. Well, you may have some distribution of some levels of people not long knowing if they're male or female. Okay, let's assume there's some of that in nature. Well, when you have endocrine disruption taking place, maybe more that's happening to more people than we ever thought before. And the companies like Syngenta, which create chemicals, right? Restricted use pesticides are aware of this. So they support nonprofits and some agencies to try to normalize this endocrine disruption and make it cool to have sex change operations, cool to be confused about your sexuality. They're trying to normalize something that's being caused by their 
products their harm to the environment. And I believe that's what's going on. So I would tell many of these people who are transitioning or not knowing who they are, that they need to look at this and that a class action lawsuit should be filed on their behalf or by them. That maybe the reason I'm so unsure about my sexualities, maybe there's something physiologically wrong on some level, epigenetically that should be explored. So I, I want us to think about that and start having some sympathy for people, okay? Now, separate from that, if you give that concept, I think it, it's absolutely ludicrous to have a, <laughs> a, a full male with gonads of a male suddenly saying he identifies, right, as a woman, being able to participate in women's sports. I think it should be absolutely banned and should not be allowed. Absolutely no. Maybe there's some rare exception case, right? But I don't think even there, I, I don't see it, okay? So absolutely, but I think concomitantly, we should also you know, support this other explora exploration and we need to fund more science. I mean, the work of Tyrone Hayes was really the one work that was done at Berkeley which showed this in a series of papers and he was vilified for this. Um, you know, he, he's the one who showed the sex changes from endocrine disruption of this chemical atrazine. But why don't we fund a lot more research in this and really get to the heart of this from a scientific perspective so we could start having more of an appreciation of what's going on and that people are trying to normalize something that should not be normalized. The issue of women or men participating in women's sports, to me, it's an epiphenomenon of something much deeper, and we need to go address that system's issue. Otherwise, again, we're going to be fighting right versus left. Squack, 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 right? The left is going to say, oh, my God, yeah, they're not allowing us to play. You know, this is against transgender rights. And the right is going to say, we don't. We hate these people. They're crazy, right? And again, each side is going to fundraise off of it. And we're not addressing the fundamental issues. And this is inhumane, in my view. Uh, I think that's an excellent answer. Uh, unfortunately, I think many of the GOP on the stage would find your answer, uh, your scientific answer to be bigoted. But uh, yeah, science has now become conflated with uh, being bigoted. So it's unfortunate. But let's move on to the next question yep. here. Uh, President Biden will be 82 year old on Inauguration Day. Most Americans say he's too old. Should he have to pass a mental fitness test? Well, I think all presidential candidates should have to. Uh, it, uh, I, I think, fr frankly, all presidential candidates should itemize all the pharmaceutical drugs that they're on, every single one of them, for example. And I don't think I think from a national security standpoint, I think it's absolutely good. People take physical tests and they take mental tests, you know, because as a commander in chief, think about what that means. You're commander in chief. You're in the military right now. You're commander in chief. And I believe most soldiers have to take mental fitness tests and physical tests. So if you're the commander in chief, I think that that rule should apply to you also. And I think that's absolutely fine. But by the way, there could be a 60 year old who's less unfit than an 82 year old. OK, it's not age. It's how you take care of your health and what you're doing. I'd really like to know all the drugs Booby F and Kennedy's on. We, for example, know that he's taking legal steroids and the proclivity of legal steroids to cause blood clots is about 100,000 times more than even the mRNA vaccine. But he should release what he's done. He should talk about how many flu vaccines he's taken. I think, I think, it's, I think a medical record of the commander-in-chief, I think, uh, you know, 
is okay. I think it's a good thing. Uh, I like that answer. I think that's it's more than reasonable. For instance, every CEO who who takes leadership of a company undergoes a, a similar test as well. So right. it makes sense. Okay. Uh, next question uh, deals more with uh, faith. So faith is in decline in this country. Is there a role for the president of the United States to change that? Are you? I, I'm assuming you're saying faith in what God. Right? Uh, I would assume uh, faith in God. Uh, well, religion. I, I think if you really look at this, I think it's a broader question of do any of these people actually have any values? And if you really think about it, there was a question answer with Megyn Kelly asking Booby Effing Kennedy in a question and answer. Um, and it's a very interesting interview because she starts talking and starts talking about Herschel Walker, that the fact Herschel Walker talked about that he's pro-life. Meanwhile, he had a bunch of abortions, right? And then she's, you know, it's leading up to this question. She says, oh, and, you know, one of your uncles was a philanderer, talking about JFK, and your other uncle killed a woman in Chappaquiddick. And so Booby and Kennedy responds by, you know, squirming in his chair. And he says, oh, oh, you know, personal integrity and public integrity are two different things. To me, that is a heart of why there's no, none of these people have any faith in a God because they have, it's basically the devil's game that they play, that you can be one way in the in your public life and you can be a scumbag in your personal life or you can be the other, you know, typically that's what it is, right? And Booby effing Kennedy is an epitome of that. In fact, all of these people are epitomes of that. They talk all this stuff about religion and all the stuff about, you know, being a good human being. Meanwhile, they go buy a drug for $5 million right? Knowing it's a useless drug, taking investors' money, crashing the stock and moving on. Like, how do you, how can you do something like that in the outer world and then talk about being a Hindu or being a Christian or whatever it is? So I think we live in a world of corrupt human beings who are now heading up corrupt institutions end to end. So, so the institutions, Chris, reflect the state of consciousness. The judges are corrupt all the way through and through. The Congress people are corrupt through and through, right? Evidenced by the fact that all of them voted for the passage of CISA. The All of these presidential candidates are corrupt through and through. And the reality is none of them have to live like you or I do. None of them actually work for a living. They're usually talking one thing and doing something else or they're moving money around all day long. They don't have to live a real life. They don't have to really, uh, work, you know, work on a paycheck, you know, or pay people's salaries, right? None of them have to do that. It's about massive movement of money through friendships. They all go to a certain school. They make their hedge fund friends. They live in little cliques. They have their own cabal. So when they want to get their kid into a university, the kid doesn't have to work. It's a phone call that's made to the dean of the school. You see, they live in a completely different world. They don't need to have faith in God because they frankly don't believe in God. They don't even have to work. Why do you need faith? You need faith to have some resilience so you believe in something and you work hard. They don't have to believe in anything because they get everything. You believe in a deity and you believe in a God when you are aligned with nature's laws. They're not aligned with nature's principles. They live in la-la land. You know, they don't have to live by the laws that you and I do. So they don't need faith. 
right? So that's why I believe they're part of Satan. You know, they're part of the devil. It is a spiritual battle at a very fundamental level. And so faith is declining because the leaders have no, they, they don't have any faith. So the issue is, you know, it's a very critical time because people need to choose leaders that raise your consciousness, that raise your standards, right? We don't, as a leader, I shouldn't go down to the lowest standards. I shouldn't, if I said my personal integrity and my public integrity are two different things, you should really wonder, well, wait a minute, what is he talking about, right? How many people has he murdered? How many people has he, you know, screwed over, right? That's what you should wonder about. And, but that's what the level of denigration of values that has occurred because of the quality of leaders, right? Trump can go bang some women while his wife is pregnant, can pay off a prostitute, and then you still have these Christian right people forgiving him. I mean, come on, right? All this nonsense. You have the contradictions are so amazing because the leaders, personal integrity and public integrity are actually different. And you can look at my life and the life of friends I have or the people in our movement. It's very different. High quality people. We're supposed to raise people's standards. We're supposed to have faith and demonstrate that in our actions. Our words must match our deeds. And that's faith. These people have no faith. They don't need to have faith. Excellent. Excellent. I'm reminded of a, of a saying, know them by their fruit. So Good. you nailed it. They don't uh, have to walk the walk. They don't have to live by any of these rules. Exactly. So uh, let's uh, address this one. This one's quite interesting. Uh, would you support mandatory military service for all Americans? Well, I believe, you know, as many of you know, Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, Clause 5, says that it has something called you have to be a natural-born citizen to run for office. Now, I, I'm a naturalized citizen. So some people point to that clause and say, hey, you can't run for president. However, people forget that the 14th Amendment was passed, which says a naturalized citizen, right, is the same as a natural-born citizen. And I've already filed a lawsuit in federal court by myself uh, for declaratory relief for the Supreme Court. We'll take it all the way to Supreme Court to, you know, restate that again, that, you know, that it is unconstitutional to not allow me to run and be president as a naturalized citizen. So I'm fighting for the 20 million people out there, you know, who are naturalized citizens. But more importantly, for much more fundamental principle, what does it mean to be a citizen? So when Article, I'm sorry, Article uh, 2, Section 1, Clause 5 was put in place, that was when the United States was a fledgling country. They didn't want one of the princes to have a child right? And then come in and become, take over the United States. Well, we today have natural born people, quote, and by the way, natural born was never defined in the constitution. The Marquis de Lafayette, who was a French citizen born in France, was made by the Maryland reg legislature to be a natural born citizen. Okay. So, but the bottom line is we're at a point where we have to define what does citizenship mean? And to me, as you know, the slogan of our campaign is service is citizenship, service. If you came here as a, and you became a naturalized citizen, you did it legally and you contributed to this country, of course, you know, to me, that's service of some level. If you didn't do any of that, I would actually like to see, you know, after high school, 
anywhere between two to four years of some type of service you do. There's many service programs. You could serve military, right? You could also serve programs that are in the rural parts of this country, helping people in Appalachia, right? Helping people build homes. There's many, many opportunities. But I believe after high school, it's really important to do something where you get to work with other human beings. Now, I was very fortunate at the age of 14. I got to do this great service project in a small medical college in Newark, New Jersey, you know, doing medical research. I didn't get paid anything, but I was so excited to work with people 20, 30 years older. And that's where I created the first email system. But that came out of a service project, right? And that incredibly gave me this huge advantage because I worked full time with people 30, 40 years older. I learned discipline. I learned how to work. I learned how to be accountable, show to work up on time, learn how to communicate, not be some, you know, crazy quote unquote person who could just, oh, excuse himself. Oh, I don't have to communicate. I'm autistic or I have ADHD. A lot of these parents let their kids get away with a lot of this now. And I think a lot of this has to do with lack of discipline and human interaction, not learning any of these social skills. And the United States suffers right now because you hire people into your organizations and you have to deal with all the stuff that the parents never did or the institutions never did. And you learn a tremendous amount, I believe, after high school. It's this very interesting period to do these service projects, at least for two years. When I was to teach at MIT, the best students I had were guys who went to the military and came because when they came to class, they were really interested in studying. Not like these people who sort of dawdled through high school to undergraduate. You know, they were just, I think they were wasting their parents' money because they had no idea why they were in college to learn anything. So I think when you go do work and then you come, you really value what you're getting. You say, wow, it was a lot for me to work out there. I had to work. I got paid this much. And wow, now I get to take time off and study. That's a luxury. So a lot of these young kids, they're basically scamming their parents. Their parents are wasting money. They're getting into debt. They don't fit. They're not learning anything because when they go into these institutions, they have no idea at the age of 17 or 18 why they're there. And I think when you go work in some service-based project, be it the military or in a job, it could be work study. I think you learn a lot of integrate, you know, interactive collaboration and social skills, being accountable that you don't learn any other way. Yeah, I like I like your ideas there. Uh, definitely, service is important. Uh, and yeah, whether it's military or otherwise, just helping building homes, like you said. And and let's not and you, and you talked about education there for a second. Let's not forget that the uh, debt crisis around colleges did not even start until the government started subsidizing uh, loans to children. So yeah, I, I I did a video on this. So Chris, it's a very important point to understand is that in the old days, right. When you came out of high school, the goal was you wanted to get a skill because you wanted to you know, have a job. So you went and got a skill, plumber, electrician, or if you were going to go to be an engineer, it was a skill you got, right? And typically people worked and studied, okay? It was rare that you went and did humanities, you know, because you, you know, you, you it, right? And at some point, uh, the brainwash, everyone's got to go to college. For what? Everyone's got to go, for what? Everyone's got to go, go to college. For what? Everyone's got to, it just became this mantra. So everyone said, oh, I got to get a college degree. 
not like you learned a skill programming or building a bridge or learning how to build an airplane, right? But just going to college. And in order to go to college, you, you went and got a loan. So the student loan companies gave you a loan, but it shouldn't even be called a student loan. It's actually, the money never goes to you, it goes to the university, right? And then what do the universities do with your tuition money? They go invest it on the stock market and it beefs up their endowments. So the universities are getting free money. The student goes into debt and the student is getting out. I, you know, I love humanities, but I'm sorry, that should be an option. It's an elective. You don't, unless you learn, let's say, writing really well. Most people don't even learn how to write. They can't even put a thought together. Okay, so you're not learning writing. What are you learning then? Okay, you're learning some transgender studies. Okay, I don't even know what you're learning there. Okay, but if you're not learning a skill, your parents are just throwing away your money. You're coming out in debt. And ultimately, the student loan companies are making oodles of money off of this. The university is making money. And ultimately, when the student loan uh, things crash, right, and people aren't paid to make their loans, it's the working people's tax dollars, which are going to pay for that anyway, right? We're going to have to print money to do that. So I'm a big, big proponent that if you're going to go to college, do something practical so you come out with an actual skill. Otherwise, you're wasting your freaking money. And nowadays, you don't even need to do that because you can learn so much on all these platforms nowadays. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Well, let's go a little bit wackadoodle here and uh, talk about UFOs. Are they asking that question? Yeah, so uh, here's the question. There has been a spike in UFO sightings. There were recent hearings in Congress. If you were a president, would you level with the American people about w what the government knows? Look, I have a theory on this, okay? You know, in 1970, to give you an idea, the U.S. military had a technology. They could fly an airplane, and they could watch on an old CRTs, they could detect what you were typing on your CRTs. Let me repeat that again. An airplane flying above your house on those old CRT screens could figure out what your keyboard was typing. Okay, that's 1970. How many years ago is that? That's 53 years ago, right? All right. So if they have that kind of technology back then, or for example, that optical lens I was talking about, I would venture to say that there have been a lot of skunk works projects that we ourselves, the military has been doing that has developed some quite extraordinary types of technologies, leapfrogging anything we have that we don't actually share with the broad public because it could have, because it could disrupt some of the existing businesses and economies. Okay. So if you follow that path through, those could be indigenous technologies, which you brand as UFOs. All right. Um, because, you know, if you really look at, look at it, we, you know, we did the Manhattan Project when? 1940? We split the atom then? And then we did the hydrogen bomb? What have we created in terms of nuclear technology since then? Can you name one thing? I mean... In three years, they put a bunch of scientists on top of a mountain in the Manhattan Project, and boom, within three years, they come up with the ability. I mean, the technologies that they did were incredible, right? 
a fission reaction, splitting the atom. I mean, the I mean, this movie Oppenheimer's out, you know. Um, when I first came to MIT, I met some of the early scientists, and they were they had to solve all sorts of problems, physics problems, physical chemistry problems, containment problems. All this stuff got done in three years. Now, can you? So I find it quite remarkable that we haven't seen any grand. I mean, Twitter is not a grand innovation. I'm sorry. Facebook is not a grand innovation. We haven't. It's sort of I find it startling that we haven't had any major freaking breakthroughs like that. Right. You could say 93 years almost or 83 years or 100 years. And I would venture to say that there have been skunk works projects that have been making some breakthroughs. And for some reason, which I don't can't articulate right now, they haven't come out to the broad public. Maybe they're too disruptive. Like maybe we can do some incredible stuff with fusion energy that we don't need to depend on anything anymore. Stupid solar cells or windmills. It's done, you know, and maybe some of these technologies, people don't want to come out. Maybe we have technologies that can propel uh, aircraft at the speed of light. We don't know. Right. As but I find it fascinating that in the midst of all this technology development, that curve didn't go along that same line, just as a technologist. So I would like the U.S. government to release all of this. I think it, the public should know. Because, and I think what, in my view, I think we'll find out that a lot of this technology is actually indigenous. Um, so when you say unidentified flying object, it doesn't mean it's from another world. It means it's an unidentified flying object. And I think we should first look, you know, at the elephant in the room, which is a lot of this stuff may already be developed here and we're branding it as UFOs. And again, it creates a distraction. And look, if there are alien life forms, you know, the reality is there's probably are other life forms. You know, when you look, work out the probability, there's always a question that's the interesting mathematical question, you know, the distance of life forms away and do they exist in the same time continuum that we are and there's also this other question that do certain life forms after a certain point destroy themselves you know so we never meet so so life on earth could be quite unique at this point in time right there's a lot of fascinating questions i think the government should be openly you know fully transparent on all of this um but again if there's as we know corruption between the government and certain elite imperial interests then maybe they don't want some of these technologies coming out because it's basically going to make war meaningless. Maybe it'll make many, many energy distribution things meaningless. And they can't have a sudden change in the economic situation because it's going to collapse most of the elite's current economy. And I think that's where more of it is, Chris. I, I couldn't agree more. And how would they profit off their climate change scam if we had free uh, available energy with no low emissions so right and and if you look at all those guys on that stage they all have connections to hedge funds and wall street and big vcs that let's say there's a technology that we've already developed that can do fusion on a table and if you if you remember 1983 when pons and fleischmann at the university of where was it it'll come to me uh uh discovered they actually had, it's a very fascinating story. So fusion, everyone knows, is where you bring uh, nuclei together and you generate more energy than fusion, nuclear, <coughs> sorry, nuclear fission. Okay. 
Now, these two scientists were able to do fusion on a desktop. It's called cold fusion, 1983. I was at MIT then. Now, MIT was receiving hundreds of millions of dollars from the Department of Energy for doing hot fusion, okay? These huge, massive reactors. And these scientists, literally on a tabletop thing, they had found fusion. The MIT Department of uh, Fusion uh, Nuclear Energy Department went crazy, and they tried to disprove this occurred by these two scientists. Eugene Mallow, who was the head of the MIT Technology Science Magazine, the chief science spokesman for MIT was, was had to put out the official MIT statement. So he was receiving information from the MIT Department of Nuclear Engineering. Interesting enough, a graduate student had accidentally put in a document which actually replicated the Pons and Fleischmann experiment. And he looked and he goes, wow, there is something real going on. Meanwhile, MIT scientists wanted to say there's garbage, it was fraud. So Eugene Mallow wrote a letter to the president of MIT, a 35-page letter saying, I don't think this is fraud. I think something's going on. His letter was never published. He resigned MIT uh, uh, based on what he thought was unethical behavior by MIT scientists after 30 years of being there. And he went and started a nonprofit, and he wrote a book, and you can look it all up, called From Fire to Ice. And he was a very eminent scientist himself, a physicist out of Harvard. Shortly after he did this, finally, they found him dead in his home. Burglary, whatever it was, right? But the point is that I believe, uh, and some believe this is a weak nuclear reaction that's taking place. Um, there are other phenomenon that probably are legitimately taking place that we may have discovered, but it would be highly disruptive to the powers that be. And I think we should really consider that. And, um, you know, and if they're aliens, okay, they're aliens. That doesn't change your life from being fucked over each day and only having $400 in your savings account. And that's why I keep telling these flat earthers, okay, are you talking about flat earth just to get views on your website? How does that change your life? Whether we landed on the moon or not, okay, maybe we didn't. But I can tell you even more conspiracies looking right in your face. Income inequality, okay? Why don't we talk about that right in your face? Why don't we talk about the fact that Big Pharma was tanking and Trump saved them? So it seems like people don't want to talk about the material things right in front of them that can affect and change by mobilizing a movement, and they want to distract it to some other stuff out there. Okay, they're aliens. They may be nice or may, may not be nice, and they may want to conquer us. Okay, what are we going to do about it? Does that change your life as a working person right now? You still have to, whether aliens are running you or whether Donald Trump is running you or whether Biden is running you, I'll put it to you this way. If there are the aliens out there, I guarantee you the elites will sell us out to the aliens. Absolutely. Right? I, 100%. So it's like if the aliens are out there, you're still in the same boat. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure this just goes further to reiterate your point that all the people on the GOP stage are just playing into this clown show and, and going down these rabbit holes, which ultimately do not face the fundamental issues that really face everyday people. They'd rather speak about this nonsense. And, and for all and yeah, for everyone I mean, out there listening. Everyday reality is that little graph, okay? That graph is a reality. Fuck aliens, fuck flat earthers, fuck UFOs. 
Fuck all that shit. Just look at that graph right there. And that's, by the way, presidential terms. Okay? Uh, look at that graph. Your children are going to have a lower lifespan than you. Let's start right there. We have all the data for the last 60 years. And that's right in your face, whether aliens exist or not. That data is facing haunting you right now. And that was caused pre-alien, post-alien, all this time. And it ain't going to change unless we build a bottoms-up movement. And we have one of us, you know, and people like you and I and others listening here becoming leaders in this bottoms-up movement. That's what's going to change that. So we need to focus on what's right in front of us, as my great-grandfather would say, you know. See what you're, you know, one foot before the other. See where you're going. Absolutely. And for all you scholars out there, uh, Martin Fleischman was from the University of Southampton and Stanley Pons was from the University of Utah. Yeah, University of Utah. Exactly. And, anyway, and so uh, we'll go on to our fine. OK, good. Hundreds of labs, by the way, have replicated the cold fusion experiment. It is a nuclear weak interaction that's taking place that's fully not understood. But the interesting thing is MIT scientists try to suppress it because they were getting so much money from Department of Energy funding for doing hot fusion. You say, again, follow the money. Think about what happens if we actually have vehicles that run on some other form of energy. Overnight, it disrupts many industries, right? And But it should be disruptive because it helps a larger mass of people. So I think the forces that be are okay. making decisions and then it's, you distract people with aliens, you know? I mean, most fundamentally, it disrupts the petrodollar, I mean, immediately. So Big time. So, yeah, great answers there. Uh, and so we'll go to our final question of the evening. 20 years ago, 70% of Americans said they were extremely proud to be an American. That number has fallen below 30%. What would you do to re-inspire Americans? Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about... Did you say tw 20 years ago? 20 years ago, 70% of right. Americans said they were extremely proud. Uh, and that number has fallen to now below 30%. Right. So let's think about 20 years ago. That's about 2000, right? And that's right in the middle point of where I'm taking. Away. So if you go from 1970 till 2023, right? It's about 40 years, right? Right in the middle point of that time. You follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's when people started awakening to how screwed they were getting by going back to the central principle I talked about at the outset of this conversation, which is between 1900 to 1970, there was a vibrant bottoms up American working class movement, which is why people have any of the luxuries that they have today. Luxuries meaning the eight hour workday and infrastructure. America was truly, you know, the light on the hill, not from, Ronald Reagan just saying that and, you know, talking whatever, right? But it was because there was this true bottoms-up movement that ensured that working people's wages all increased and it was a powerful working class. But starting in 1970, right, is when all of that went the other way because the left wing and the right wing, Democrat and Republican, consolidated power, and they make sure that the working class never built these bottoms up movement. And so 1970 is, was the beginning. And by 1993, right, 20, let's say 20, around that time frame, it's pretty close, right? People no longer were proud of America. But I would argue when they say proud of America, they're saying proud 
of the leaders of this country. You follow what I'm saying? Proud of leaders. When they say America, they don't mean you and me and the working people, right? So we need to say they actually are done with the leadership of this country. To me, that's the way I interpret it, Chris. When they say people are proud, of, I don't think we should take it personally, you, me, and working people. Because I see working people struggling and knowing they're in the same boat. They're basically done with the leadership, Republicans and Democrats, these quote-unquote Americans. To me, they're fake Americans. And all those people up on that Republican debate stage all hate this country. They actually despise this country. They're not Americans. Why? All of them supported lockdowns. All of them supported the creation of CISA. None of them said anything when our federal lawsuit in 2020 exposed the fact that government and big tech were together. Fucker Carlson hates this country. Joe Rogan hates this country. All the elites hate this country because if they didn't hate this country, they wouldn't have allowed this to take place. So I think we should take a broader perspective when they say we, when they do these polls and when they define Americans. I think what they mean is when they say people are not proud to be Americans, I think people are not proud of their leaders. That's what it really means because the leaders reflect, quote unquote, what is America? Who should be proud of people like Booby F. and Kennedy? Who should be proud of the Kennedys? Who should be proud of the Trumps and the Bidens and the Obamas and the Clintons? If these are Americans, right? American presidents, why should you be proud of them? And I think fairly people are not proud of them. But I do believe that there's a huge opportunity for the American people to start choosing leaders who actually represent their interests. And that's where we're at. This is really a wake-up call to say, what does it mean to be an American? That's what this is about. Is not an American a guy like me who came from nothing, from a caste system, came to this country, built the first email system, earned my way to get all my degrees, created many, many companies, has always fought injustice all my life, has walked the walk. Isn't that an American? How can any of those people on that stage call themselves Americans when they've all scammed the system? Every single one of them. All of them have taken shortcuts. None of them are Americans. In fact, I keep repeating, they hate this country. Because if they really love this country, they would never have supported lockdowns. $16 trillion were lost by this country. 600 billionaires increased their wealth by $2.3 trillion. These people hate this country. They're fake Americans. And the so-called, when they wave the flag, it's all bullshit. They don't love this country. You know, it's all bullshit. They wave their little flags over here, put the little flag up, sing the Star Spangled Banner. It's like, who are they bullshitting? They passed CISA, which destroyed the First Amendment. Trump signed it. All of them supported it. All of them signed it, right? They supported lockdowns. They have not fixed the election systems issues in this country. And they don't say the right thing at the right time. So I think rightfully so, people are not proud of them. And I think we have a huge opportunity to become true Americans again. But in order to become true Americans, we have to start letting our, ourselves lead us, not them. Who's an American? Look at my background and look at any one of those people. Look at your background, Chris. You worked your ass off to make every penny you make, right? 
Look at the background of people who are watching this right now. Compare yourself and have some dignity for yourself and compare yourself to any of these fools out there. You know, and that's where we're at. We're, we're at a very important point of self-reflection. And, and it's about raising consciousness. What do you want in your leaders? You want people that just yap, 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 yap. Put $5 million and buy a fake useless drug, right? Resurrect it. Don't really care about it. Do you want people that when you should have said something against lockdowns and say anything and then write books about Fauci after the fact is done? What kind of people do you really want? Do you want people who are real fighters or fake fighters? Are you going to put up with the bullshit? Because what you're seeing right in front of the stage right now is a whole bunch of bullshitters. And the elites are looking at who can bullshit people better. That's why they do these debates. Who can bullshit people better? Ooh, he got a good poll rating. Okay, he's a better bullshitter. We got to get him in because he, he learns how to mimic all the words, steal Dr. Shiva's words, and he's confusing people. Uh-uh, we need the real McCoy. I'm the real McCoy. You're the real McCoy. And everyone who's watching this is a real McCoy. But we have to have some serious standards for ourselves. Absolutely. And so that wraps our questions for this evening. It was a wonderful uh first GOP debate where we actually uh, provided real answers to the uh, to the problems facing this nation. And so I thank you for your time. And I guess uh, I'll leave it for you to close the floor. If there's anything else you would like to say to the American people out there, uh, make your case. Why should you be the next president? Let me begin, Chris, by going back to where I started. OK, I just want once again, Chris, to, everyone to look at that graph. All right. Just absorb that graph. And let me go back to two versions of this graph, right? You go back to 1980 to around 2014. And what you see is all these gray lines represent all the industrialized nation's life expectancy. The dark gray line is the average of the life expectancy of all the industrialized nations. And they're going up. Starting a little bit after 1980, around 1984, the U.S. started going this direction. In fact, went down. But it's been going in a diversionary way. In fact, it's been going down here. And in the recent past, it's gone like this. This means your child will have a lower lifespan than you. It's going down. And this trend is indicative not of COVID or the pandemic. The reason we got to the state is because during this period, the immune system, your fundamental operating system of your body and every American's is being destroyed by not any one thing but a system of issues, not any one issue. Let me repeat that again, by, but by a system of issues. The life expectancy of you and your children has been going downward because of many, many policies that were done in collusion by both Democrat and Republican to serve the interests of the 0.1%. And they don't give a damn about you. Why? Why isn't anyone talking about that graph? Because it comes down to a very simple answer. They're not one of us. They don't care about us. They care about themselves. They will live in their gated communities. They will get their organic food. They will have us eat garbage. They will have us eat genetically engineered foods. They will give us the worst health care. They would make sure our inner cities have no infrastructure and so on. So they live in their beautiful gated communities. One rule for them and another rule for us. During the pandemic, 600 billionaires increased their wealth by $2.3 trillion. $8 trillion was printed 
to boost up a stock market and help Wall Street. And so you have to really take this to heart. We're at a point in the history of this country, and by the way, the rest of the world is going to follow that same pattern because everyone follows America's pattern. So for in other parts of the country, recognize that this same pattern is coming to your country. And what it tells you is that those in power don't give a damn about you. And you have to stop electing leaders who say one thing and do another. You have to stop having amnesia for people who say one thing and do another. You have to stop looking beyond the slick sales talk. You have to look at what they actually did when a crisis took place. What did they do in 2020? Did they support mask mandates? Did they support vaccine mandates? Did they support lockdowns? And you will, if you just take those three questions in March of 2020, compare what my actions were and what their actions were. And it, the answer will be right in front of your face. My actions saved millions of people's lives. My actions gave leadership and directions. My actions gave people significant courage. Their actions gave people fear, uncertainty, and doubt, which resulted in profiting them and destroying your livelihoods. So we live in a very important point now where it's about truth, freedom, health. That's what this is about. And you can no longer, as this graph says right here, choose a lesser of two evils. Because if you don't care about yourself, it, it is killing your children. And if you continue doing this, you're no different than if you remember the old cartoon with Charlie Brown who keeps running to think he's gonna get to kick the ball. And Lu Lucy always you know, picks up the ball. You're the fool. If you continue voting for the lesser of two evils, you're like poor old Charlie Brown and you deserve what you get. But what I can tell you is you have a huge opportunity with someone like me, because I'm one of us, I'm one of you. And we have a massive movement right now that is spreading like wildfire, the movement for truth, freedom, health. And that movement gives all of you the opportunity to not sit on your butts, but become leaders in your own community to go way beyond left or right, to start looking at systemic issues and finding real problems to real solutions. If you go back and rewind today's talk, you'll see for every issue, I didn't take a left-wing or right-wing position. I gave you insights that come from a deep understanding of fighting injustice my entire life, fighting for myself and fighting for you. It's not talk to me. Everything I say is real. It is something that I've endured. So I know what suffering is like you know what suffering is. And that is why I'm the only candidate who's talking about this graph right now. I'm the only candidate tomorrow at 4 p.m. You'll see me and others going at the train station to working people and distributing hundreds of thousands of these flyers. We need to build a bottoms up movement. We need to shatter the swarm. The swarm are all those people on the debate stage, Republican and Democrat, black, brown, red, white, color, it doesn't matter. They're a multi-racial, global, decentralized bunch of assholes that do not give a fuck about you. What can you do? Well, go to Shiva for president. Many of you work hard, so we made it easy. Go get a bumper sticker. Get this bumper sticker, put it on the back windshield of your car. Why? 100,000 people will see that. That will be defiance because you're telling them fuck off. I no longer believe in your lesser of two evils. I'm supporting a guy who's one of us. Go, if you're a little more adventurous, go out to Shiva for president, download one of these flyers. 
hand them to your neighbors. It's in the download section. If you want to donate, great, but I cannot take your money without giving something back. When you donate to me, I give you books, I give you knowledge, I give you courses so you can become a truth, freedom, and health warrior. This is about us and it is truly us versus them. And they do not want you living long and prosperous. I do. So anyway, everyone, thank you. Shiva for president.com, truth, freedom, health to all of you. And I want to thank our host, Chris Bradley today. Um, and also John Medlar for bird doing the, the questions. And it's 11 PM. We have a lot of incredible dedicated people in our movement and volunteers, by the way, we need to get on the ballot in every state. Go to shivaforpresident.com, volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. This is our time. It is us versus them, and we must shatter the swarm. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everyone. Be well, be the light.